The electric chair fates worse than death. with another edition of the electric chair thank you all again for listening my name is midnight Corey, and i am your host and we're gonna have a lot of fun this week talking about all kinds of horror stuff just the crazy weirdness that uh, i call a podcast here i appreciate that each and every one of you listen um the podcast is again available on stitcher go to stitcher.com and uh download the app for your for your device either your phone your tablet whatever you got and uh, it's really really convenient to listen to this show on the go and thank you once again to stitcher for uh kind of plugging me in with their whole network it's really really cool but, uh, man, I got a lot of great stuff for you this week. Um, it's funny, I was talking with uh, Evil Mike, you know, Mike from uh, Evil Episodes. And uh, he and I do a lot of back and forth during the week, and uh, it's really fun to talk to him. But, uh, man, you know, I had that four-hour episode last time around, and he was like, man, I can't believe four hours, that's just crazy. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know what? It's like a new adventure, Every week. I mean, it literally is a new adventure. It's not the same thing every week where I have the same format and do the same segments every week. It's like I'm talking with so many different people from all different walks of life, and they all love horror, and they all contribute in some different way to horror, whether they write or act or direct or or whatever they do. Um, And it's just fascinating to me to find out about them and why they love horror and their background. And uh, it's amazing. And my guests this week are no exception. But before I tell you about all these guests, uh, let me get some things out of the way and uh, not to downplay them at all because these are really exciting. Uh, First of all, you know my friend Florida Possum. Florida Possum is somebody that you should get to know. She is uh, one of the kindest, coolest people that I know. Um, I I got to meet her in person at Horror Realm several several years ago, uh, and she is just as cool in person as she is here in Internet Land. She's been listening to me for a long time, since clear back to the Midnight Podcast, and uh, I I really, really appreciate that. But um, one of her great qualities is generosity. She is so generous that she emailed me here and said, Corey, I want you to run a contest where you give away the Troll Hunter Blu-ray. Um, but uh, Florida Possum is going to be the one giving this away, and she's going to be footing the bill for shipping and everything. She's going to send it out to the lucky winner, which is so cool. So all I have to do is like come up with a contest, and she's going to take care of the rest. You know, She'll send it out and everything. All I have to do is run the contest, get a winner, let her know who it is, and she'll send it out. So, wow, Florida Possum, thank you. Thank you. That once again confirms your great coolness. <laughs> As if I had any doubt. Anyhow, really. So, but uh, yeah, so here I am and I'm trying to think of something cool. You know, let's think of a fun, creative contest. Let's make people do something cool. But, you know, then again, I'm just like, well, why don't we just make it really easy for people to enter? So that's what I'm going to do. And here's all you have to do. Let me know somehow that you would like to be in the running for this Blu-ray. Um, whether you send me an email at Corey at midnightcory.com or you use the form on the Electric Chair website, which is electricchairshow.com uh, slash contact. 
Um, there's a little form there. You just uh, fill it out and send it, and there you go. But let me know you'd, you'd like to be part of it. You can also do it on Twitter if you follow me there, or Facebook if you're part of the Facebook thing. And, uh, you know, uh, also you can leave a, a voicemail. I would love to hear a voicemail, you know, where you could uh, say, hey, I'd like to be in the drawing for the Troll Hunter Blu-ray. And to be honest with you, I, I kind of want to enter my own name <laughs> into the hat here because uh, the Troll Hunter is a great, great film. I hope you heard our review of it here not long ago. Um, but I would love to see it in all of its Blu-ray glory. You know, I saw it on Netflix. But man, to have this in full HD on my lcd man oh <laughs> yeah that would be great but i'm not gonna do that i gotta keep things honest here so let me know uh, i'm gonna run this for just like the next few weeks or so and uh, you know so get a hold of me let me know um but my advice to you is to get in early let me know as soon as you hear this that you'd like to be part of it that's all you got to do and um uh, once again florida possum you are the woman <laughs> I wanted to say you're the man, you know, like you're the man, you're the man for this. But no, you're the woman. You're the woman for this. So thank you once again. Um, a great friend. Um, next up, um, there's a great band out there, a great horror band. And everybody out there listening right now should be listening to Die Monster Die. Um, a great horror band, just fantastic guys. You hear uh, Shane on the Corpse cast along with my friend Mike. But Shane is the drummer or the percussionist if you will, of Die Monster Die. Um, a great guy, and actually everybody that I've hooked up with on Facebook and everything in that band. Zero DeLorean, the singer. Windhawk, the guitarist. I mean, I, great, great guys. I love those guys. They're very personable. They'll, they'll talk to you. You know, they're an indie band. They're very down-to-earth. They're very cool. And they all love horror. So, uh, yeah. But anyhow, you should be listening to them. The reason that I bring them up, other than uh, I really want them to like me, too. No, no. The reason I bring them up is uh, because they're running a Kickstarter campaign right now to fund their new album. They've been writing songs, and there's a new album that they're hoping to release at the beginning of 2013 called October 21st, 1976. And they're using Kickstarter, the crowdsourcing thing that I think is really, really great right now. They're using that to raise the funds for this. Now, the thing about Kickstarter, you know, it's a 60-day campaign. So they got 60 days to raise this amount of money that they want. And after that time period, if they haven't raised that much money, they don't see a dime. They don't see any of it. So it is really important that you go out there and you pledge some cash. I mean, the minimum donation here is like a dollar. One dollar. I mean, tell me you don't have one dollar that you just can't throw their way. I mean, seriously. But even, you know, up until you can be very generous, if you have a lot of money, you know, if, you, if you're very comfortable and yet you have some extra cash, I mean, give it towards people who deserve it and who are great, great artists. Um, and that is this band. And they really, really need the money and they will appreciate the money. I guarantee you, even if you donate $1 or $500, they will appreciate every single dollar that comes in. So, uh, yeah, I will have this link up in the show notes to uh, the Kickstarter thing. But uh, go see that that happens. It's really exciting. And every step of the way, they have some great perks for different levels of giving. And uh, I did it myself. I I'm proud to say that I was one of the first, like, five people to uh, pledge money towards this new album. Because I really believe in the band, and uh, I hope this happens. So I definitely did. And uh, so, yeah, yeah. 
Everybody out there, go check it out. The link is going to be on my website. And uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, next thing, oh, I've been asking for voicemails and uh, haven't got a lot of response. Although my man Johnny T came through again. And so Johnny T sent in a second voicemail, which is two more than anybody else in the world <laughs> has sent to me at the electric chair. So I really hope to hear from more people. But that's not to say that I don't love to hear from Johnny T. He was possibly my favorite person from the UK. And I'm not just saying that because you send me voicemail, but you are really, really cool. I mean, just we we have history. You know, he's he's been talking to me for several years now. And a really, really cool guy. Of course, Johnny's Cult Films, again, is a great website. And I love his take on horror. And just a great guy. So let's listen to what Johnny T sent me this week. Hey, Corey, it's Johnny T, your friend from across the pond. Uh, just catching up with a few episodes because I've been away and stuff. Um, just listened to the one with you and Vaughn. Uh, great stuff, man. That was really, really like that one. Um, and you just go stand through Hoppagus the Beast or whatever the Hoppagus it is and observe the second one. Now, I've got to admit, and I might get shit for this, but I've never seen either of them. Um, I've heard so many bad reports over the years and stuff, and it's one that's just sort of always avoiding me. But with you guys talking about it, it does sound pretty fantastic. Um, and as you mentioned, it was one of the ones on the original Video Nasties list in the good old UK. Um, and years ago, and even now, the VHSs go for quite a lot of money, but uh, Anthropophagus, whatever it's called, um, that was the one that went for one of the, like, you know, the most money kind of thing. That used to go for about 90 to £120. Pounds. Um, and I think even now, you still get your collectors of the DPP stuff, uh, and it still goes for around 40, 50 quid. Pounds in English, sorry, I'm getting all English on you. Um, but that's good. And what's your take on the latest glut of zombie films? Because I, I mentioned last time I saw O Zombie, which was five, six out of ten. Um, I attempted to watch the other night a new one that's come out called War of the Dead. And man, that is terrible. Really, really bad. It just seems that anybody with a CGI computer and, you know, an idea of a zombie and a bit of face makeup can just do any kind of zombie thing now. And it's, in my eyes, it's sort of killing the genre a bit because, oh, it's another zombie film. You know, um, which relates back again to the show with you and Vaughan, where you just say, you know, films like um, Absurd and Horrible or whatever they're called, you just can't make them like that anymore. You know, it's just the atmosphere and captured on 60mm, um, which is a shame, really. But, uh, you know, the grindhouse stuff's pretty good, but it, you, you still know you're not watching the original stuff. Um, but, yeah, just wondering what um, your thoughts was on, the, you know, the remakes of all the zombie stuff and... I shall be catching up with um, um, Hoppadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadopadop
So I'm like, I, I got to see this. Even if it is a terrible movie, I got to see these scenes that kind of work people up so much. But it ended up, I saw it and I loved it. And then I saw the sequel, Absurd, and I loved it too. So I'm really glad that I saw it. But, you know, this is the kind of movie that, you know, people really have to seek out and you just kind of have to happen into. And I'm glad that I can sort of spread the word more. So bottom line, like I said, man, not many people have seen this. So it's all good. But I hope you do. And I am really interested to hear what you think of them uh, once you finally get to see them, um, you know, of course, by voicemail, of course, I'd love to hear uh, you give me voicemails. Because, again, like I've said so many times, I'm like a sucker for accents. Anything out of the typical, you know, American style of speaking, I just love, love accents. You know, I, I loved, you know, Joseph Souza, who was on the show last week. I loved his Boston accent. And I love southern accents, like I've talked about before. But when you go outside of the U.S., man, I love, love, especially like U.K. and uh, Irish, Scottish kind of things. But Johnny T., your voice, man, your voice, is, it, it, you could talk about anything. <laughs> but where was I going with this, man? Um, but yeah, I would, I would love uh, for for you to let me know what you think of these of these films. So any way that you do it, even if you tell me on Twitter or like Facebook or whatever, it's cool. But uh, I do sincerely appreciate the voicemail. Now, as far as like uh, recent zombie films, man, it's rough. And I've talked about this a lot, man, ever since. Oh, man, ever since the 80s, it's been really rough. I mean, the you know, you look, uh, the 80s had a lot of great uh, zombie films. And then we kind of ended that era with Tom Savini's make of, of Night of the Living Dead. After that, they're very few and far between. We have, you know, a couple okay ones in the 90s. And then you get into the 2000s where CG is really a, a big factor. Of course, we've seen that with, uh, you know, the Dawn of the Dead remake with uh, Land of the Dead and, of course, the other Romero films. And indie zombie films are really, really taking advantage of CGI. And uh, that's where you were talking about this is really killing a genre. You know, before... Before CGI became really accessible, um, we saw indie filmmakers, especially in the zombie subgenre, um, really have to be creative with practical effects and really just figure out new ways of making uh, bloodshot, you know, blood spurts and headshots and, and gore scenes. You had to just really be creative with latex, whatever he had laying around. And and um, but now it's like people rely on it so much that yeah, it's it's just kind of killing the magic of of horror and killing the magic of why I, I like film so much. And I, I think you were right on with what you said. So um, I tend to gravitate, again, towards uh, zombie films and other horror films that uh, don't use CGI, that are still willing to get dirty and still willing to use these practical effects. Um, so, yeah, the zombie subgenre is very abysmal right now. It has been for a long time, but every once in a while, you get that great film out there like The Dead. Or, you know, going back a few years, we have Colin. And I, I don't recall, Johnny T, if, if uh, you're a Colin fan or not. But that's one that really got to me. I think it really did so many things right. And it, it just, I don't know, it struck me in a place that uh, not a lot of zombie films do. So, but like I said, every once in a while, you get these gems Amidst all the horrible other zombie films out there, you get the ones that do it right. And it almost makes it worth it. Like I watch 
a hundred really, really bad zombie films to find that one that just sticks with me. And it, it is, it's kind of worth it, you know, especially The Dead and especially Colin, like I keep saying. Um, those ones were worth the other countless hours that I spent watching <laughs> watching terrible zombie films. So, yeah, it's kind of killing it off. Um, I think people hear indie zombie film or something like that, and they immediately assume the worst. And I, I'm one of them. But, uh, again, doing the podcast it kind of motivates me to, to try out more things. But I think to your average horror fan, yeah, the zombie thing is kind of a joke right now, especially indie zombie films, and it's really tough to get seriously noticed is to say, hey, I just made a zombie film. It's an indie thing. It's low budget, but I think you should check it out. You know, how many people are actually going to make an effort to go see that? You know, it's just, it's so saturated right now with with horribleness, <laughs> like you said. But there is hope. There is hope. And hardcore fans like yourself, like me, and like a lot of other people that are listening right now, um, I think will stick with it because they love it so much. They love it so much that we're willing to put up with a lot of these bad things. So, yeah. But uh, thank you again, Johnny T. You're a fantastic man. Oh, all right. Well, here, here we go. Here's what I got for you this week. Here is who I'm talking to. This is really exciting. Some great, great people on the show. First of all, fantastic actress. Somebody that I had a lot of fun talking to. She had a role in Some Guy Who Kills People which is a really unique horror film. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't reviewed it yet, but I plan on reviewing it here soon. But uh, Lindsay Hollister, uh, she has been in a lot of stuff. She's done a lot of film, a lot of TV, and she was so kind as to sit down with me and have a discussion. And uh, man, we, uh, we do a movie review and uh, had a lot of fun. So thank you to Lindsay for uh, taking the time to do that, and you're really going to enjoy our discussion. Next up, um, there's a series of, of short stories out there for your Kindle called Zombie Fairy Tales, and one is coming out every month. I talk with the author of Zombie Fairy Tales, Kevin Ritchie, and again, we have fun. We do a movie review, and <laughs> ends up being a great guy. Man, we talk about, we go, we go a lot of different places, and uh, yeah, yeah, so that was great. And finally, something I am super, super excited about is happening this coming September. Uh, it's called the Drive-In Super Monsterama. It's held at a drive-in in Vandergrift, PA, which is right down the road from literally where I grew up. And I'd lived for, you know, the first, you know, 20-some years of my life. But uh, this is something that is going on. It's, it's kind of like a, a, a two-day festival of showing some great, great horror films at this drive-in. I talk with the organizer, George Rice, who is also the editor of DVDDriveIn.com. I know a lot of you uh, go to that website. It's fantastic. But uh, I talk with George about the drive-in Super Monsterama, what that has in store, and uh, where it came from, and a lot of other great things. So thank you to George for coming on, and uh, I hope that uh, you know really uh, it uh, makes more people aware of this and that it's happening and that they should go see it because it, it's going to be a great event. I'm going. I'm going, so you should too. So, wow, wow. All of that and a whole lot more. So let's get into things right now here on the electric chair. Let me eat your brains. <laughs> Bring it 
so good, so so rich and spicy. Spicy? Yeah. Joey, I am not into dead guys. Yeah. <laughs> Honey, it's only me. Okay, okay, okay. Take me, baby. I'm really happy right now to welcome to the show a very prolific, fascinating actress, Lindsay Hollister. Thanks for talking with me tonight, Lindsay. Well, thank you for having me, Corey. Absolutely. You have such a long list of acting credits to your name. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. You, your, your IMDb page is like a mile long. Um, <laughs> and so you've been doing this for a while. Um, so could you give me, uh, just a little bit of background on maybe how you got into acting and the kinds of things you've been involved in throughout the years here? Well, that was very sweet of you to say the checks in the mail. So thank you. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> cause I think, you know, I think as an actor, you're always striving for, for more, more consistent work, but I have been very lucky to, um, to do the work that I have and I'm definitely appreciative of it. Um, I moved out here right after college. And, um, it was a different time. Definitely. Uh, early, the early two thousands were, um, you know, not the, it wasn't sort of the same, you know, um, landscape that we have now. So I, I got an agent quite quickly. I'm a character actress. So, um, that's one cool thing about being a character actor is there's not a whole lot of you, but then that, uh, there's also not as many roles. Yeah. So it's sort of a catch 22, but, um, uh, so I, I had been auditioning. I didn't have my, my union card. Um, I was non-union and it's, you know, it's hard to book work when you're not SAG. And, um, but about a year after I moved here, I, uh, uh this show Boston public had, had just started airing. I don't know if you remember. Oh yeah. Uh, David E. Kelly and, um, and everyone was watching it. It was, I mean, definitely cause it was David E. Kelly, but also, it was a really good show and people really liked it. And, um, about halfway through fall season, you know, the show, I think, you know, it started airing in September. So maybe I can't remember, but I got a call to, for an audition to do this guest star and, uh, and, you know, guest stars, you know, most people start off doing like under fives and then they'll do co-stars, which on television is beneath a guest star. Um, but so it was, it was for a guest star and it was and it was like this perfect part. But I was, I remember telling my agent, I'm non-union, you know, they're never going to cast me. And he's like, um, you know, he's like, well, they'll just have to taft Hartley you, which is when you're automatically sort of put into the union. If you can, if you book a role that, uh, and on a union show such as that. So anywho, I went in for it and I ended up booking this guest star role on Boston public, which turned into four episodes. And, and then I died, which was, it was very dramatic, oh, but wow. <laughs> very memorable. <laughs> yeah. If you die on television, people remember you or. <laughs> um, I love it. So I, um, that's how I started my career. Thanks to David E. Kelly and the show Boston public, because sort of once you, um, once you're sort of, you know, you book a show like that and, and, you know, I mean, I, the doors opened and I, I did a lot of other work that year and a lot of casting directors said, you know, we loved you on the show. So, um, I was very, very, very lucky to, um, so soon after I moved here, you know, have that happen to me. So, mm. um, 
so yes, so lots of other guest star works has sort of followed over the years and a lot of bad movies. <laughs> a lot of straight to DVD features. It doesn't necessarily mean they're bad. I mean, I can think of one right now uh, we were just talking about before we open things up here. And uh, that was some guy who kills people. Right. And uh, that uh, I saw that not long ago. I haven't talked about it on my podcast yet, but um, that was a fascinating movie. Uh, in that, uh, you know, people were telling me, oh, this is a horror movie. You got to see it. It's horror. And it's actually much more complex than that. It weaves a lot of different genres into it. And it's there's some thriller. There's some drama. There's a lot of dark comedy. And uh, that was a really interesting film. So how'd you how'd you get involved in that one? Yeah, that's what was so cool about it when I read the script is there's like a heart to it. You know, it's not just like a slash them up, you know, sort of film there's um you know you really feel for the characters you get into the characters um I auditioned for it I I got the audition it was um uh it was right before actually I knew I was going to Croatia to film uh the the Uva Ball film mm-hmm. um and uh so I'd already been preparing for like six months before I went to Croatia um and this audition came up it was a small part but um I love horror films. I am a huge horror film fanatic, actually. Awesome. Always, yeah. No, I am. And um, I had always wanted to be in a horror film and, like, preferably, like, get killed and, like, or run around and scream a whole bunch. But um, I'm, you know, again, the character actors are not usually the ones booking those, you know, horror films. It's usually for the, you know, the girls with the big boobs and stuff like that. So this... (laughs) quirky little you know movie came along and um and I was able to fit it in right before um I went to Croatia um you know and it like it was like to work opposite Barry Bostwick was like incredible Mm -hmm. you know like he is such a legend and he was so gracious and like and laid back and um it's funny because my boyfriend never has asked for anything. Like I've worked with Steve Carell and Anne Hathaway, like some big names. Mm-hmm. And he slipped his uh, his um, Rocky Horror Picture Show special edition blue <laughs> in my like bag the last day I was filming. And um, and it was like, you know, I don't know. See if you can get an autograph. And really <laughs> It's really difficult to, you know, when you're on a, like when you're working as like a principal actor alongside like a name, like it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a little weird to ask for autographs. It's kind of like, you know, you're supposed to be, you know, a peer kind of thing. And yeah, kind of like you're in a professional atmosphere with them. And so I could see that'd be awkward. Yeah, a little bit. You're a little, you know, it's a little humbling, you know, to be like, I just did this scene with you. Can I get your autograph? Um (laughs) But I um I kind of caught him at a good time. I had just finished like my last scene, and we were walking back to our trailers. And I I said to him, I was like, I was like Barry, I'm I'm not kidding you when I tell you that my boyfriend's favorite movie like ever growing up was Rocky Horror. That he had it, his mother wouldn't let him watch it, so he taped it on you know back then of course VHS, but labeled it a different movie. <laughs> So that he could watch it. And I was like, and he would absolutely like, you know, be unbelievably thrilled if you would sign this. So, um, 
so very did. And, um, and he quoted some, I'm going to forget it now. I have to, I should go get in the other room, but he said something from the movie and, you know, and he was just really gracious about it. So it was very, very cool. I mean, like I said, to have a a talent like that, you know, and he was really funny, I think, in the you know, from the clips that I've seen, Uh, you've seen the movie I mentioned, and I haven't even seen the whole thing yet. But oh, yeah, yeah, that's kind of strange. I, uh, you know, that uh, you were in it, and you haven't seen it yet. And I've seen it and and stuff. So it's just interesting, the the way things work. And that, you know, you don't necessarily see it right away. No, you don't. I mean, again, like you, you know, I was invited to like the casting crew screening and I was out of town, so I've just missed it. But it is, and this seems like some sort of shameless plug, but I didn't mean it to be, but it is out on DVD soon. So <laughs> I actually have a copy coming from Amazon. So, awesome. um, yeah, I, I so um, I, you know, the, I keep in touch, you know, socially network with, um, you know, the director and the writer and stuff. And, uh, they let us know it was on its way out. So, which was great because it's been, you know, I filmed it in, in early 2010. So, um, you know, it took a while for it to come out, but I'm, you know, but from what I've seen online, people really sort of enjoyed it. It's like a weird little horror film. So. Yeah, absolutely. I recommend it. Um, and some, I'll get around to doing a formal review once the, you know, the public can get the DVD and everything. And, uh, get a hold of it for themselves but uh it's it's a fascinating film like you said and uh so and i'm interested you know it, it's kind of I, i'm almost tempted to say oh Lindsay, i'd love to you know uh hear what you think about it you know once uh, once you see it but that's kind of putting you in a strange position where you, you're <laughs> you're not exactly going to critique yeah, your, your own say, film <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah no i think like the you know i think the team behind it the writer and the and the director and everyone, you know, um, they were just really solid. So I yeah. think that um, I'm sure it's fantastic. And I think they're going to go on to do, you know, a lot more stuff. And yeah. and um, and I guess, I mean, our executive producer was John Landis. I mean, that's crazy, oh, right? Yeah. That was the other thing. Like when I got the audition, I was like, oh, John, <laughs> I mean, that was like, I mean, I didn't get to meet him or anything, but right. I mean, I, I will definitely be proud of any movie that I would, you know, with his name on it. So, yeah. uh, even if it's a small part, like it was really cool to at least be under that shingle, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, Karen Black was in it as well. Um, you know, from yeah. house of a thousand corpses. Um, yeah, I got to meet her at the read through. So awesome. Awesome. I know. And, and <laughs> like, no, the whole, everyone was just like crazy, like, you know, like niche actors. Like I love those actors that you may not know their name, but you, you know, you, you know, like you recognize them and you go to their IMDb and you're like, oh, yeah, they're in this, this and that, you know. Right. And like that, I love movies like that. So it was a ca- kind of a cast like that where I think you really recognized a lot of the like even the little girl who plays the daughter was in like Dark Water and stuff like that. Right. Oh, so seriously. Huh. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I should pull the IMDb web. <laughs> Oh no, but that I wouldn't be surprised because it seemed like this film is just packed with people like that, like you were saying, and that's yeah, uh, that's yeah, really cool. Yeah, really attracted good talent. So yeah, yeah, and oh. you really know who the who the film buffs are and the really really cool people that can pick that out and say, oh, like me, like I, I recognize Karen Black right away because I, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses, like I said, and yeah. um, so, but that's that's cool. You kind of know who the cool people are, you know, when they. They can uh, pick people out like that. And, uh, oh, so yeah. Like, and Kevin Corrigan has been around forever doing mm-hmm. tons of, um, you know, great stuff. And he, you know, I think he, and then when I, you know, working with him, like just watching him work was really cool. I think he was perfect for that part. 
But uh, yeah, Ariel Gade played the the daughter, and she was in Dark Water. She played the she played. Um, I'm like, what's her name's daughter? Jennifer Connelly's daughter. There we go. Wow, cool. Yeah, man. Well, that's uh, that's really cool. Now you talk about being a big horror fan. Um, what what's some of your favorite horror movies? Like, what are your favorite kinds of horror? I guess, or your favorite specific movies out there. My favorite horror is more like. I want to say classic and I'm not saying classic, like, you know, black and white Dracula or Frankenstein, even though like, I love to put those on at Halloween and, um, you know, I mean, Halloween, we have like a serious movie watching schedule. Like October is, I actually, we schedule out my boyfriend and I schedule out what movies are going to watch. Um, my that. absolute favorite is the original Halloween. I, oh, cool. Oh, that to me, that's my favorite movie like ever, like not just favorite horror movie. That's my favorite movie ever. Um, I have like all the behind the scene. I have like I have that that movie in like eight different versions. I have the speed <laughs> version. I have um, the 25 year anniversary where they talk about it. Um, you know, just there's just so many elements about the original Halloween that I love. Like, number one, I love that it was low budget uh, mm. and like, you know, just a like they barely got it made kind of movie. I love these stories like that because um, there's just a lot of heart, I think in movies like that. Um, I love, um, I love the fact that I'm just, it's not that I won't watch gore and you know, gore is gore. And it's not, I mean, there's like, I like, I love the remake of Dawn of the dead. It's pretty gory, mm -hmm. but like, I love the thing about original Halloween was it was more like, like that, like that stalking and that sense of like, you know, yeah. and it didn't like, they didn't have to, they didn't show that much blood at all. In fact, I don't think they show any blood in that movie. Like very, very little, if any, yeah, very, very little, like maybe like right in the beginning when he's the young kid, like stabbing his sister, there's some blood on the knife. Like, I love that. Like I, like you can be completely frightened by that movie and like, and that, you know, that just him showing up, you know, just even behind the, you know, the laundry when, you know, she looks, Jamie Lee Curtis looks out the window when she's come home for school, you know, like, and then he disappears. Like I there's just, I, I could watch that movie over and over and over again. And yeah. I never, I never get sick of it. It always freaks me out because like, I think like that's the thing about my type of horror is like real people, like, or like mm -hmm. real, like the chance that this could really happen to you, that kind of stuff. Like to me, one of the biggest tragedies ever was i am legend which was a a sick book it was so good mm -hmm. and then they like cg i these <laughs> and i'm like i'm, yeah. I'm not scared like that's a computer like generated you know the creature that's so not scary and it's not mm -hmm. to say that like there hasn't been some really good cg stuff that whatever but to me like i'm old school I like dig like, you know, an American werewolf in London. Yeah. Like, you know what I was, I mean, not to like go back to John, Lan but I'm saying like, no. like stuff where like the effects are just, you know, really real. And, um, I'm sure there's a lot of like CGI artists if they're listening, like, shut up. That's our li livelihood. But I, um, I bash it all the time. So don't worry about it. Okay, it's good. <laughs> yeah. It really breaks my heart because, um, I just think it takes the, the realism out of, um, out of film and yeah. I like I said I understand 
sometimes when it's needed, you know, backdrops and stuff like that. But when it comes to like creatures and horror, like to me, it's killing the genre, you know? Yeah, yeah no kidding. Horror to me is in the mind. It's internal. You know, it's yeah. not necessarily what's in front of my eyes and being shown to me on the screen. It's how you're making me feel. You know, do yeah. I have that sense of dread? Am I creeped out right now? Even though I'm not seeing anything gory, I'm not seeing anything with sharp teeth or monstrous or anything right now, but I am seriously creeped out because that's yeah. the feeling you got me. And it, it takes a special kind of storyteller, you know, but, you know, the, the writer, the director, everyone that's going into it, you know, to exactly. craft that kind of a thing. So you're, you're yeah. right on and Halloween does it perfectly. Yeah. And, you know, and like the music too, like it's so crazy that John Carpenter, crafted that himself i mean it's one yes. of the best soundtracks it's so like right now i can hear it in my head it's so eerie like you never forget it yeah. and um it's so simple it, too it is and i love that i love <laughs> i think we i think filmmaking has really become complicated and it's like when people kind of just go back to like the bare bones of it you know i think we get some of our best stuff and um yeah so that movie man i could go on like all day about how much <laughs> I love the original Halloween and and how and then I can go on for another podcast about how much I hated the remakes of it and how that was like I don't even acknowledge that they exist cuz like I would I, I would like to yeah. debate you on this and maybe I can have you on at, you know at some other point later and we can have a, a just a very friendly debate on uh sure. maybe that the the Rob Zombie remakes here and uh yeah. kind of uh what you think of them because I I'm a big Rob Zombie fan. I was actually into his music like decades ago, even before he started making movies. And yeah. uh, so I feel like I really understand the guy kind of, and I, I get where he's coming from. And so I get his vision on a lot of stuff and I yeah. can separate the remakes from the originals and still appreciate them. And I, I, I look at them. It, it's really complex. Yeah. I have yeah. a hard time doing that. And yeah. I, and I'll admit that. Like I have a very hard time separating like books from movies. Oh like, Yeah. I had a hard time with the help. I had a hard time with Hunger Games. Like I, I do. I have a really oh. hard time separating. Mm -hmm. And um, so yeah. So I, I haven't gone back to watch. I haven't seen the second one, but I have the. You would the, hate it. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's this is I. This is the thing about it was I remember watching it in the theater and I was like, there's some really cool elements. But then I think I just got angry that like. So much of what I loved about the first one was sort of, again, all those elements mm -hmm. were like sort of, you know, like he did sort of make it gory. There was a lot more, you know, a lot more boobs and sex. and well, all it's, that. it's total Rob Zombie, you know, with, with just Halloween kind of thrown into the mix. of. But I just wish he'd like, like, again, like you talk about like House of a Thousand Corp, you know, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Like. Well, his other movie, I'm like, go do that. That's awesome. I just, just wish he ha he didn't feel the need to kind of touch Halloween. Like it wasn't it wasn't time yet. It wasn't yeah, time. Yeah, it was rough. But Rob Zombie, again, he is a commercial guy. Yeah. I mean, even when he was making music, the reason he got into doing White Zombie is for commercial reasons. He wanted a commercial band to kind of prove everything everybody wrong. He he actually came up. He I think he had kind of a poor upbringing, um, you know, kind of a a, a rough life whenever he was younger and. Um, He'd be very critical of music and, and everything, and people would be like, well, you know, if you're so critical, then go out and do it yourself. You know, go out and do your own thing. And he said, okay, well, I will. I'm going to go out there and do my thing and make – I'm going to show you how much money I can make it doing this. And everything he's done, he's, he's said very boldly that uh, he's commercially driven. And, um, you know, Halloween is no exception. Of course it's going to make money. And, of course, if he has a chance to do it, he's going to jump all over that. So. Yeah. 
And I want to say, though, the second one kind of bombed, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, not what people were expecting, and he was just given carte blanche to yeah. do whatever he wanted, and it had no basis in any of the original Halloween movies, especially it, it had nothing to do with Halloween 2, the original Halloween 2. This yeah. was, you know, Rob, just go and do whatever you want with where you left off from the first film. And he he took a lot of artistic license. So <laughs> Yeah, no, like I said, like there's some really there's some really cool parts to the first one. I remember like I really kinda liked how, you know, you kind of see Michael Myers and he's in his like, you know, psychiatric ward and he has all those masks, you know, like yeah. cool parts. But um what was I gonna say? Oh, but see, that was to say on one hand I'll criticize him because again, he, you're messing with like something that's close to me. But on the other hand, I was like, What I mean, I don't want him to go shot for shot for the original one. I mean yeah. That happened with Psycho. We saw how well that turned out, you know? So, like, again, it's like, I don't know how else he would have done it, you know, kind of thing. But, um, so, yeah. So, I I, I get that there's the difficulty when you're remaking sort of classics. But, um, but yeah, you're going to open yourself up for, obviously, a lot of criticism when you, when you go, um, you know, after the big one or whatever, like Halloween. But, um, but, you know, there, there's so many, like, they're going to remake Carrie, you know? And I'm like, whoa, how are you going to remake Carrie? <laughs> it's going to be really interesting, you know? Yeah. So they just sort of like, you know, like again with remakes, like it's not that I, like I said, it's not like I am totally against them. I love Dawn of the Dead remake. And there may be a lot of people who disagree with me on that one, but um, I love it. I don't know why. I just love that remake. <laughs> it's like, great. It's great. Actually, it's it's hard for me because um, the original Dawn of the Dead is to me like Halloween is to you. My favorite movie of all time. Um, oh, yeah. that, that film is just brilliant. Um, I'm from Pittsburgh, so oh, you know yeah. it just it, it gets me that much more. You know, I went to the Monroeville Mall at that point in time. You know, as a little kid, and I went on that ice skate. You know, the the ice rink, and you know, I, I saw the stores and remember those. So it's it's very surreal to me to see that. Yeah. Um, but uh, hands down, just a favorite movie, horror or otherwise, nothing touches it. And yeah. so seeing that the remake was was there, um, you know, of course, I was like, oh, there's no way they can do justice to it. But they changed it so much and they made it something all of its own where, um, you know, I kind of wish they wouldn't have called it Dawn of the Dead um, yeah. just because the only thing in common with it was that there was a mall and that was it. Yeah. Um, but a great movie, fantastic movie. I mean, yeah. the first ten minutes of that thing just takes your breath away. I mean, you were oh, you were white knuckled, and uh, it's it's a great film. So no, I'm I'm totally with you there. It's a great great movie, and I appreciate that you like it too. Oh yeah, good. No, because that's the thing. I was like, I know, like I said, you get into remakes, and people do get very passionate about it, but. I don't, that movie is just killer to me. If they, like, again, I think what you said, like, they sort of made it their own. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe it should have had a different name because it had nothing to do. I've seen, I've seen the original, <laughs> not even close, you know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like, that one just takes you on a ride. So, um, so, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Like, for some reason, it was like they were able to, like, like be on that line between like it's like has action and scares and gore but then you care for the characters like you do like when she says like when she's at the end and he gets bit you know and she's on the boat i mean like that's oh my god and like you know the sun is coming up behind it's powerful yeah oh my gosh i mean every time like i know it's coming and i'm like no (laughs) you're just hoping this time it doesn't happen that way it's gone you know 
that's a good movie to me when every single time you hope it doesn't it's like sex in the city the first one every single time i watch that movie i'm like please don't leave her at the altar that doesn't happen i can't say i i know that particular one that just but... really went into another <laughs> <laughs> oh no but you're right i mean it, it's it's a special kind of movie that does that and uh i don't care remake otherwise they remade my favorite film of all time i don't care it was great and i could you know I could take it for what it was and uh, not look at it as, oh, man, they really screwed up my original film here. They, yeah. man. No, it's good that you can do that. Like, I yeah. I have a hard time. I have to, like, I have to go back. Like, I went back and I watched, like, The Help again. I really loved that book. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to, on the second time, separate my feelings of the book from the movie and able to sort of, you know, look at it. So this October, I'm going to go back now and I'm going to look at Rob Zombie's Halloween and I'm going to, and we'll get, I'll get back to you and tell you I how I so. feel. Yeah, yeah. That'd be great. I own it, but I haven't watched it. Isn't oh, wow. I think it's still in the plastic wrap, but. Uh, oh, you got to bust that out and I give will. it a shot. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm interested. You said, you know, books and book adaptations to movies, you know, you have a hard time with that. Um, are you a big, like Stephen King reader? Um, I, not like, I'm like the generic Stephen King reader. Like I have seen the shining. I mean, I read the shining I've read misery. I've read all, you know, like the basics. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I never got into like, you know, dreamscapes and nightmare, you know, like, or the stand. I never read any of those, but, um, when I, I when I was a kid, I remember being in my bed reading The Shining and like wanting to like absolutely crawl out of my skin. I was so scared. Like that was yeah. one of like, and I was, and then I was like, I'm way too young to be reading this. But <laughs> um, so I read like I've read like you know Christine and you know like some like the old school stuff, but not a lot of his recent sort of thing. Um, I think I read like Dolores Claiborne mm-hmm. and I read, um, Oh, I can't even think of it now. The one where like, she's getting kinky with her husband and then he dies and she's like locked up, handcuffed that to the bed. Rose, um, uh, yeah. Um, for, yeah. Yeah. I'm not as, it, it's funny cause I'm the same way. I'm not as kept up with his newer stuff, you know, pretty much right. after he got sober, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> seriously, I mean all his best stuff and it's terrible to say because I'm sure his life is, is much better now, but, uh, man when he was drunk and high and just like at the typewriter like for like 24 hours straight that's when he produced his best stuff and yeah it's it's terrible to say but that's the truth um the the recent stuff got kind of i think a little flaccid i don't know a better word of saying but but yeah you know it's funny though tying into what we were speaking about before really quick Love the book The Shining. A lot of people hate Kubrick's version of The Shining. I love Kubrick's version of The Shining. That's an awesome movie. Yeah, and I'm able to, like, separate the book from the film. And then, like, when Stephen King came out and said that he liked the TV movie version for, for like, better, the guy with, like, the, with the guy from, like, Wings, I was like... Oh, man, that was terrible, oh, I thought. Oh, it was horrible. Yeah. I and I love like the whole story behind The Shining and how Kubrick like absolutely tortured. Yes. <laughs> What's her name to play Olive Oil? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Shelley Duvall, and you can see her like in the in the behind the scenes, like 
smoking a cigarette and her like hand is shaking and you can just like tell that she's going through like <laughs> actor nightmare like if you had to do like let me tell you as an actor and I've you know been on a lot of sets I've been doing it for 12 years doing a one scene even like 10 times is a lot I mean most of my stuff I only get like maybe two to three takes four maybe and you know with a rehearsal I mean Uva Bowl movies aside we can talk about that but <laughs> But, like, they were going into, like, 40, 50 takes of The Shining. Oh, my God. Like, I, I think she had, like, a mental breakdown during that filming. And you can see it, like, in her eyes. Like, as she's, like, in the – she's, like, in one – I mean, she's so thin, too. And, like, in the behind yeah. the scenes, like, she's smoking a cigarette. And she's, like, wrapped up in a in – a, like, a big coat, you know. And you can see, like, she's, like, a prisoner of war. <laughs> it was, like, her apocalypse now, you know. Yeah. Like, like I mean, wow. but I love that movie. That's another like favorite movie of mine. Like, I mean, all the time, you know, give me the bat, Wendy, give me the bat. Oh, I mean, it's man. like fucking Nicholson is at his best. I'm exactly. sorry. Exactly. I just cussed. I'm sorry. No, no, please feel free. That's- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh oh. <laughs> I get so passionate when I talk about it, but that's awesome. But that's one where I kind of feel like they let Nicholson just do whatever, like carte blanche, you know, do whatever he wanted. Yes. He was like going, yeah. But anyway, so that's, I get weird with movies where I can kind of like separate that one from the book, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Have you, I mean, Stephen King, is it like he, more movies have been made from his books than I think anybody else. And, um, yeah. so have you, have you ever seen one of a book that you've read of his that you don't think was any good at all? I mean, it, it's, Again, it's tough to to separate them and compare, but has there been one you were especially disappointed with? I don't, I mean, Thinner was kind of crap and that was a pretty good book. Um, True. Nobody, nobody, I think is, I mean, not very many people have seen that. I just thought that that was kind of crappy, but it was kind of hard to do it maybe with like the weight loss and everything. But um, I'm trying to think, like, I don't think I ever read. Carrie was it named Carrie the book yeah Carrie? Mm-hmm. yeah um I've seen the movie a ton I don't think I ever read the book um oh yeah I like listen misery I want to do the remake of misery I'll put that out there right now you would be that great I, is, oh is uh um what's her name I can't remember the uh Kathy Bates. yes you would be perfect she did misery when she was like 41 I've got years to go time to put this in development so Anyone who's listening right now and we want to do the remake, let me know. <laughs> wow. I got to get the right. But yeah, I would love to do the remake. And you know what? And then people would hate me because there's no way I would ever be as good as Kathy Bates. But because <laughs> oh, don't like. Don't sell yourself short. No, it's true though. She's Kathy Bates. Like She's in a total league of her own. Yeah. But, um, you know, I do remember though in the book, I hope that we're not giving away spoilers here, but these are so old. Like if people haven't seen them, then everybody's you know. seen misery out like, there. I hope so. Okay, good. Yeah. I was like, Rosebud was a slide. We can say that, right? Right. Like, <laughs> like, oh, like yeah. we, can, we can give away, we can give away spoilers, but like yeah. in the book, I love that she like goes as far as she like cuts off his foot. And then like in the movie, she just like breaks it, both of them with a yeah. sled. You know why, like, both both of those, like, that's both really gnarly. Like, I'm not going to say, like, getting a sledgehammer to your ankle <laughs> isn't really gross. But um, I do remember, like, having read the book, it was like, she went there, you know? Like, you cut off someone's foot. Like, that's commitment. That's right. a lot more commitment than just sledgehammer, you know, taking a sledgehammer. You've crossed a, a whole nother line at that <laughs> yeah. point, you know? <laughs> You've gone to a different level of crazy. Yeah. 
Um, right. But yeah, I know. I mean, so again, like, you know, I don't think that there is any, like, I wasn't like hugely disappointed, but sometimes when they take artistic, they take something out of the movie that was in the book that I think was significant. I go, I don't know why you had to do that. Like, why couldn't she have cut off his foot in the in the movie? Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of the limitations that they're working with, especially with his books, is uh, time, uh, yeah. which is a lot of the reason why he makes like TV miniseries of his books, yeah. like The Stand and uh, things like that, because he puts so much into his books. And even Misery is actually one of his shorter books. Um, right. But, you know, to pack that into 90 minutes... That is really, really tough. And even Pet Cemetery. I don't know if you've read or seen Pet Cemetery. I mean, there is a lot that is cut out of the book to put that on the screen. Because, again, it was a feature-length film, 90 minutes. And so they had to do a lot with it. And, um, you know, even when they do make the miniseries, like there was one I I talked about, um, one of his more recent books that he turned into a a miniseries, Bag of Bones, um, on Mm -hmm. another podcast. And... um, that was like a three hour, over three hours, I think, um, when you put it all together. But still, they cut out a ton of oh, yeah. stuff. So I think that's what they're kind of working up against. And, totally. I mean, man, you got to make something of like stand kind of magnitude as far as, uh, you know, having like a week long miniseries <laughs> to oh, even God. do justice to that kind of thing. Yeah, because a lot of his books are weird. Oh, here's another example. I think it was called The Langoliers. Lang- yes. Uh-huh. That book, rad. That movie, no. Didn't even come close to me to capturing. Yeah. How freaking cool is it that, like, you're on a plane, you fall asleep, you wake up, and you're, like, in some sort of alternate universe? Like, that's pretty freaky. Yeah. And, like, when they land and it's, like, everything's weird, there's, like, no one around. You remember that? Like. Uh, yeah. That, that th- I, I read it first, and it was actually one of his novellas. Um, it right. wasn't even a, a full book, and then they they blew it up. Um, I think into a, that was a TV movie, wasn't it? Or maybe, it yeah, I think maybe it was a TV movie. And um, but the feeling that I got from that, <laughs> from reading that, I mean, I was taken in. I was drawn in and creeped out, and literally, oh my god! Like I've been so, on a plane before. What 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 would I do? But then I watched the the TV adaptation or the movie adaptation, and it was like, ah. Eh. And yeah. just kind of in this weird abandoned airport. And yeah, like it just couldn't translate. And that's what yeah. they say, you know, sometimes your imagination is just going to be better than a movie, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it should be, I'm interested to see what the Carrie remake is going to be. Yeah, me too. I that's don't a... really love that they're talking to, um, who they're talking to for Carrie though. Yeah, I've I've been reading about that too, and yeah. uh, it's... and like she's great in her own respect, but mm. uh, I don't know if she's right for that, so I'm a little worried. Yeah, cast yeah. director. So we'll see. I mean, you can't touch the original. I mean, it's so good. It's, oh, uh... Sissy Spacek was yeah. like when she just when she starts like messing things up with you know her eyes, like that's the best part. Yeah. But the cheesiest part is when they like she goes to run over, you know, John Travolta, <laughs> and then it's like cuts to like, or like the car goes to run over her, and then it cuts to like the model of her, you know, and then right. there's some sort of horrible explosion. So, you know, there's some cheesy elements to the original for sure, but you really need to cast a girl who can even come close to how good Sissy Spacek was in that movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's gonna be rough. Yeah, it's going to be really hard. And I want to say, are they in talks with 
Julianne Moore to play the mom? Yeah, that's weird. I mean, that's... That might be okay, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We're going to see. I don't know. I know. Yeah, it's, I mean... I mean, maybe I'm thinking of her, like, in, in terms of, you know, I grew up... She's been in so many things that I've seen just growing up. You know, Natural Born Killers and... and um... Oh, no, no. Julianne Moore, not Juliette Lewis. Oh, oh talk- I'm sorry. Oh, like, that's who talking- I was thinking of the whole time. Julianne Moore, what, what, what was she in? <laughs> oh, man, I'm... Uh, this Julia is how Lewis stupid I am. A super weird choice. That's why it wasn't clicking for me. It was like, man, that's that's a crazy. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> I think it's Julianne Moore, right? I yeah, think. you're right. <laughs> oh I man. So. I don't know. I can't remember. I my entertainment weeklies have sort of piled up lately, but it should be interesting. It should be interesting. Just, wow. Well, well, thank you for clearing that up because now I got to go and, <laughs> and look into this now and kind of straighten myself out because uh, for some reason that's the first first person that came to mind so i know right and that oh. would be like to me like a horrible choice wow yeah i think it's julianne Moore, or juliette <laughs> lewis but she's oh. kind of not the best choice for that so yeah wow okay well uh we've mentioned uva bowl yeah and you've been involved with him now that now tell me originally how did you how did you get to be involved you've been uh postal was i think the the first picture that you, uh, you were in of his correct um so how yeah. did that come into being how did this gets started with him. That's such a good story. Uh, I don't know if we're going long or not, but probably. That's the beauty it. of podcasting. It like it can be whatever. You can, so you can do whatever you want as long as you're you're good with it. So sure, awesome. Um, yeah, no, I um, okay, good story about that. I got a call from my agent, and they were like, "We have an offer for you." for um this movie postal um you know offers are pretty awesome because that means you know they want you for the part you don't have to audition and go through that crappy you know situation and then wait and whatever um and it was like really good money flight to vancouver um all that kind of jazz um and i was sort of like i got the script and i it was have you seen postal no i haven't Okay, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not judging you. Basically, there's um, there was like this sort of a demeaning part of like the obese wife, um, and it was it was like really treading on some stuff I wouldn't want to play, and um, and I was sort of like thinking about it, and then like during this time, I didn't know at all that the production was calling my agent and my agent was returning phone calls. So all of a sudden, and then like I was going through a transition and like leaving that agent. And, um, I had my manager at the time. I just, I, you know, went with the new manager and I was like, you know, I need you to sort of get on top of this because I don't know what's going on. And she called and she's like, they had to move. They found someone else for the wife. They don't like you, like they didn't hear back from your agents. Like you're not going to play the wife. They already found someone else. Cause they didn't hear back. And I was like uh, bummed. Cause like, I don't know if I would have done the role, but it was sort of like taken out of my hands, you know? Yeah. And, um, and she goes, but they really love you. So they, they want to, you know, they're thinking about trying to find us another role for you, which is really amazing. Like, let me yeah. tell you, that doesn't happen ever, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so they, they came back with this part of the, recorder and it's a scene with like Zach Ward and um um oh my gosh I'm gonna forget his name he's such a cool character actor too I'll find it all IMDB right now and um and it's like oh he's basically playing like a secretary 
And it was like two kind of scenes and like really quirky and, um, you know, not demeaning at all. Rick Hoffman, you know, Mm. Rick Hoffman, he was in Mm -hmm. Hostel. He played. Yeah. Right. Um, And um, so and they're like it was like an like an insane amount of money for the day. First class to Vancouver. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) super happy with this. So um, so I flew to Vancouver (laughs) and um, and I'd never been to the Couve, as I like to call it. I don't know if Canadians would hate that, but I'm like, it's the coup. So, um, I flew there and um, I get on set and like Uva didn't like never like really spoke to me. I think he said hello, you know, like hello. And then um, and then we did the scene and like didn't really like there wasn't any real direction or anything. And then I shot the second scene. We were like in some warehouse somewhere in Vancouver. And um, oh, and then like during one of the breaks, though, um one of the um, executive producers, Dan Clark, who works with Uva on like everything, and he also worked on Blubberella, came up and was like, you know, hey, like we, you know, you're doing a really good job. And he's like, we saw you on an episode of My Name Is Earl. So because I had oh, done, wow. yeah, I'd done this episode of My Name Is Earl, you know, just one episode, and I played like, you know, this like geeky fast food restaurant employee who kept dropping her retainer like in <laughs> fry you know grease like had a crush on earl right and um that's how they they knew me and that was like i was like that's awesome like work begets work kind of thing you know that's really amazing that they saw that and like liked me enough to you know bring me up there and um so i was like rad and then like i literally never spoke any other words to uva um, flew home from the Couve about, I don't know, maybe like the next year or like six or eight months later, got a call or got an email, like come to the cast and crew screening of Postal. And I was like, okay, there was, and they were going to do like a talk back after. <laughs> so I show up at the cast and crew screening. I'm like, oh my, this movie is going to be so offensive, right? <laughs> right. Movie be like, it's going to make like, it's going to make offensive movies look like, child's play like how offensive this movie is gonna be i don't even know i think i no i don't even think i got a script and that's the one thing like wow. people a lot of times is like it's like a smaller part you don't get a script you know so huh. um, i was sitting there and watching like the opening which was sort of like a 9-11 thing and i was like too soon like 20 years from now it's still gonna be too soon 30 years from now essentially <laughs> <laughs> a, 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 Oh, too soon. Um, but anyway, so afterwards, like Uva did this like crazy talk back and, um, you know, joked that people want to know how his movies get funded. And he tells them through Nazi gold, you know, like, <laughs> like Uva does not like, let me tell you one thing about Google. He does not care what you think. Like he just doesn't like, there's not a shred of like, I hope people like me. <laughs> like he's not, he doesn't say the F for it, but he does not care, like effing care at all. So I went up to him. This is, I've told this story a few times. And it's like, I wanted to say goodbye. And again, like the amount of words I have exchanged with this man through filming and through this like cast and crew screening were maybe like, like, like less than like six words, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, bye. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and he was like, 
Um, listen, I have this idea for Blood Rain. See, but you play Blood Rain, and people might go, ha, 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 but you kick ass. And sorry mm. for the back, but I had to. <laughs> no, that's okay. And um, I was like, I literally like paused for like a full second. We're surrounded by people. And I was like, call me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what else to say, you know. Right. I remember walking away because I was aware I, I had seen Blood Rain, the first one, which was horrible. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was like an atrocity. Like, and um, and I remember walking away going, you know what, though? That's a pretty fun idea to take this like, you know, action, like this like video game heroine and like. Who's supposed to be all, you know, she runs around like, you know, Eastern Europe that's freezing with like a bustier. Oh, yeah. Half naked. Yeah. Kind of. Like she's and, and like, you know, well, except for the first Blood Rain, which was Christiana Lokian, who actually looks like she can kick ass. Like Natasia Malti is like five to 100 pounds wet, but she's kicking ass, you know. Right, so right. It's like that's a really cool idea to put like a big girl in this role, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, like has done that you know like i mean so yeah like the basic idea kids was like pretty good you know like um a year and a half went by i want to say and um i was having coffee with a friend a director friend of mine um in la um sort of bemoaning the fact that like the recession had hit the writer's strike had hit i had Um. not i um you know, I was making a pretty nice little living off of television and like those, like it was drying up for me, like hardcore. And I had turned my ringer off, which is really rare for me to do because we always have to stay like connected, you know, but yeah. uh, because it was like a director friend, I, I turned off and when I turned it back on, I had a message from Uva that was like, oh, wow, I want to do <laughs> play Blood Rain, call me. And I like, immediately like you know shit my pants like <laughs> yeah i'm sure wow and so um you know basically but then what happened i thought i was gonna have my own movie i had no idea and maybe i'll i will give it benefit of doubt of the lost in translation but like when <laughs> i spoke with him i had no idea it was going to be filmed back to back with blood rain three not, I'm not saying that that would have like changed my decision to do it because what people have to understand is like to be handed a movie where like you're the star, okay? Like they're going to shoot a movie. They're going to pay you more money than you've ever been paid before, you know, for a project. Mm-hmm. And you get to go star in it, which we always say like to get to be number one on the call sheet, you know, like you know how we – like there's call sheets for, you know, a movie, right? And they're right. always the – your real name, your character name, the days you're working, what time your set call is, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. In order of importance. Like, you know, so number one on the call sheet, like you're the star, you know? Right. So I was like, I, you know, I was like, here's the opportunity to be number one on the call sheet. Like, I will honestly probably work the rest of my career and never be number one on the call sheet. Like, that's <laughs> not negative. Like, it's just a fact. I'm a character actor, you know? Or, yeah. Like, the chances of me, like, starring in another film like that and or like being on a tv show where i'm like number one i mean i'm saying like Kiefer sutherland is number one for touch you know like (laughs) 
you know, I, it was unfortunate that it had to be filmed the way that it was because ultimately, and then of course I flew to Croatia with no script. Wow. Uva Bowl, um, superhero, um, comedy was what it was titled. And it wasn't until I was, you know, trapped over in Croatia. And my friend I brought with me who plays Vag, <laughs> Will, Willem Belli, who just starred on this last um, season of Drag Race. I don't know if anyone watches Drag Race, but um, he's sort of becoming this, like, name or whatever for himself. But he said, like, you know, we were there and they took our passports until we filmed the movie and then they were going to give them back, you know, like. <laughs> wow. The movie uh, Blubberella, it's it's something I've seen the trailers for it, and uh, it looks very very interesting, you know, as far as the the concept and everything. But th- this brings in something that you know you've been alluding to up until now, and I've I've kind of wanted to stay away from because I just think you're you're a really really fascinating person. I love just talking about you and and talking about movies, um, but uh, it's being. A bigger person, you know, in in this industry, in mm-hmm. in acting, um, because it seems like a lot of people want to talk to you about your weight and about that kind of thing, and yeah. I really didn't want to because I'm, like I said, I'm interested in you, you know, and and kind of what you think and think what your ideas are. So it's <laughs> you know, again, it's something, and I don't know, again, how sensitive that you are to you know talking about things like that. And especially Blubberella, and I've read a lot of what you've had to say about that, and you didn't necessarily agree with everything that was, you know, being communicated in the movie, especially the title, you know, you didn't like it all and and, uh, everything, but you're there, you're involved in the movie, they're paying you, so (laughs) it was kind of a very awkward thing. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, again, that's something that, uh, I didn't really even plan on, uh, getting into with you because, uh, you know, no, it's fine. You know, like it's one of those things where I've had ever, like from my first job, my first job was, Mm -hmm. you know, like I, we talked about earlier was Boston public and I played an, an overweight high school student who's being, who's getting ridiculed and she starts beating up the guys who are making fun of her and then the wrestling coach finds out like he's like how are you beating up these guys and she's like my dad was a wrestler and he puts her on the wrestling team and like a weight has been a part of my career since day one and you know I can't you know you can't act I mean I'm not like I just can't I mean I'm not ashamed to talk about it because it's such a part of you know mm-hmm. my career not to say that like I love that I would love to live in a world where there were roles where it's just the you know the best friend who happens to not be a size 0 or whatever right but we're not like we don't live in that world right now and Hollywood is really a lot of stereotypes and and all I say is like we you know people talk so much about like the typecasting and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, but so few for overweight women. And I get completely like, like killed at any sort of like, you know, fat acceptance, like boards and stuff. Like I stopped reading them like years ago because like they hate me. But I was like, you know, there's like, think about the, like Pamela Anderson has just played like, you know, a big boobed, like blonde her entire career. We don't talk about like, you know, that as much, but, um, But, you know, I mean, you know, I knew what I was getting into with the movie to a certain point. There were things that 
where I, I mean, I thought I was going to have a script written by a professional screenwriter, which I didn't. <laughs> I thought that I was yeah. going to be able to film all of the scenes it would take to make a movie. Um, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, comprehend like comprehensive film, mm-hmm. like. Um, and I didn't like, we just were cutting shit left and right because there was no time. Like, you know, so it was really frustrating and I begged Uva to just put like Blubberella, which I, again, was, became the title. I wanted to name it Chubberain because I think that's hilarious. Yeah. Like, like, and he didn't want it to be too close to blood rain, probably for like the copyright or whatever, yeah. but Chub rain, hilarious. Like I, we can laugh at that. Like chub is a great word, but um, yeah. But like I begged him. I go like because I knew by like week four, I was like, you're not gonna have a movie, you know, and mm. you're not gonna have like you have cut so many scenes, connecting scenes of my film, that you're not like this is not gonna be a complete movie. The untitled superhero spoof. That was what it was because he kept saying this is a spoof movie, a spoof movie. But um, I said, put it on Blood Rain 3 as an extra. Have Natasia on the front with her, you know, CGI enhanced chest and, like, her blades. <laughs> and then, like, people flip it over and, like, you know, have me standing there. And I thought that would be hilarious way to package it, you know, like, see Blood Rain and then now see it another way, you know, like, Clue, like, you know, right. like, alternate sort of you know that's funny yeah yeah that'd be and he would not do it and um he packaged it as its own film and you know the response has been like really hilarious and interesting um i like my favorite thing to do if i have like a random night off is to like get a glass of wine and read the twitter feed of every (laughs) somebody mentions blubberella and like i'll respond to people and like i'll like we like Willem and I are the most like self depreciate like like I will absolutely be like people will be like this is the the worst this is the worst movie I've ever seen I couldn't I had to turn it off after the first five minutes and I'll be like oh but the last five minutes were the best <laughs> like I will absolutely agree with people like yeah you have to like you just have to like understand the movie for what it is and like. Mm-hmm. I seriously like got chased down in Target a couple weeks ago by like this these three guys and this guy was like you were Blubberella I love that movie and I like looked at him and I was like how many blunts did you smoke during- <laughs> <laughs> He's like right and I was like right like you know I mean we've all I have seen my fair share of like really bad horror films. Mm-hmm. And um, at least, like, I feel like this one doesn't take itself seriously. So, like, if you seriously are, like, angered by it, then, like, you're just, you shouldn't be watching shitty horror movies that you find on Netflix. Like, right. just don't don't open yourself up to that. Like, some girl on Twitter, like, I did one of those things. Like, she wrote something really, like, you know, whatever. Like, this is horrible. And I said something, you know you know, um, in response to it. And she was said something like, I don't want you representing me. Like you, you like, you don't represent like, you know, b- bigger women or whatever. And I was like, you know, I just wouldn't ever look to actors to represent you for anything, you know, <laughs> like, sorry. Wow. And, 
Then I might have mentioned that she was grammatically incorrect in her conjugating of your, and she uh, was, <laughs> she was like, I love it. Oh, you're you you're the winner. Uh, I was like, dude, like you just need to laugh, like laugh, yeah, a little bit more in your life, you know, because I've never gotten to the end of like a really crappy horror film that I tracked down and was like angry about it, like. I mean, you can be like, oh, man, that sucked. But, like, I'm not going to be angry about it. Like, I chose to sit and watch it, you know? Yeah, it's it's amazing to me, especially that I'm really, really involved in the online horror community and, and watching a lot of films and, and things and and how seriously people take it and how personally people take yeah. it. And they just get downright pissed off. And yeah. I'm just like, well, I, I don't know. I, I'm just having fun. You know, it's not something that... I'm going to lose sleep over that. I'm going to let, you know, raise my blood pressure. You know, oh, it's, yeah. it's just, it, it's, it's a movie for crying out loud. I mean, come yeah, on. Just like, un, like just understand it for what it is. And, you know, I was really lucky that entertainment weekly did this like six page article about it last March and not like of last year. And I really tried to get the story out to pe- like just understand because I think there's a lot of times where people watch movies and they're like, how could, you know, the, this person do this? And, you know, a lot of times it's like you just you, you don't have control. You don't like things happen during the course of filming, you know, yeah. and um and sometimes, you know, movies like Barbarella are made. And but I'm telling you, like. There's so many people who genuinely are like, this movie's hilarious. I lo- it's one of my favorite bad movies. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm like that. I don't. And then like, I always respond with, well, I'm really worried for your mental health, but thank you. Like, <laughs> because I mean, but I do love that there are people who get it and they just enjoy it. I always say it's like a great movie to watch if you're deaf. Um, dumb, blind, drunk, or dead, you know, like, but just <laughs> like, it. you know, like, just know what you're in store for. Like, if you're not watching Citizen Kane, people, like, come on, yeah. you know, like, um, so, uh, so yeah, so like, I've been really tickled, and I, cause I, like, Corey, like, this movie's everywhere. It's on Showtime, it's Netflix streaming, like, it's like, anytime I turn around, like, people are like, Oh, I just watched it on in demand. I'm like, why? Don't watch. Like, stop. Like, <laughs> I. It's amazing. I. It's how much it's been picked up. Like over Blood Rain, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it's it. You know, Bull again. It's he's a controversial guy, and so people are going to be interested into seeing what yeah. he's going to do next. I mean, what kind well, of stuff is he going to try to pull here? And <laughs> it's... well, if, if there's any like film fanatic people that are still listening, <laughs> just let me tell you this. Um, no script, 90% improvise. The other 10%, we would try to write the scenes that we thought we'd be shooting the next day, the night before in our like hotel room, like as we're being held, held captive in Zagreb, Croatia, which let me tell you, Eastern Europe in February is not the most fun place to be. It does not really help your, um, your like mental health. Um, I would get no rehearsal. So, like, you know, usually, like, you walk on a set, director says, okay, let's rehearse. You usually get to rehearse a couple of times, and it's for you and for camera and lighting and sound, so they know where you're going and all that kind of stuff. Um, No rehearsal. We'd shoot the rehearsal, and maybe 40% of the time I get a second take, and that's probably generous. So 
again, I feel like I don't want people listening and being like, oh, she's making making excuses. But like, if you seriously know anything about filmmaking, like, how do you make a, a movie under those circumstances? You know, That's amazing. Like, I mean, there's like a scene where like you can't even it's not even lit. You don't even know where anyone's at like, <laughs> because there's just like no lighting. And like Willem's actually doing something really funny and has a really funny line. And the camera's not even on him. And like, wow. you know, so stuff like that happened. And like I said, like they cut scenes that like connected the story together. And I would mm. stand on set and like. Dan, the producer, would be like, we're not shooting that. And I'm like, Dan, that's like, we, that's like, I have to have that scene. Like, how does she get from here to here? And they were like, you know, shrugged. And um, you would have been a much better, you know, cinematographer, you know, something on set. Then I mean, it sounds just, like a lot of these guys. It's... Well, I didn't have anyone looking out for me. Like they were, you huh. know, like we were the afterthought. We were like the afterbirth. <laughs> like, Amazing. We were, <laughs> that's such a gross way of putting it but like <laughs> we you know we would be like waiting until they you know we had to wait until like the br3 was done with the scene and then i would get to step in and like no one knew what they were doing like clint howard and michael Pare, like god bless them like they didn't know they didn't have like they would try to improvise and like they're just, you know, sometimes it would work. Most of the time it wouldn't. Like, you know, they, they they tried their best. Like, they really, you know, tried to go for it and be good sports. But there was no lines for them. And, like, you know, that's why, like, Will, and I'll tell you who, like, Brendan Fletcher. Like, I don't know if you saw Rampage, which is sort of a horror movie. No. Um, that's another Uva Bowl movie, but actually a pretty decent Uva Bowl movie, if that's not an oxymoron. Oh, but, wow. um. <laughs> Yeah, check out Rampage because it's it's like yeah, it's, I will. I think it's horror. I mean, it's it's horror. I mean, it's action horror, but I mean, it's not like supernatural horror. But like, it's mm-hmm. basically about this kid who like decides to like shoot up his town. And Brendan Fletcher starred in that, and I saw that movie before I did it. And like, he's the other guy. He's like this the male lead of Blood Rain, and then he's also. Um, and Blubberella, he plays the, like, love interest. And, like, that kid was such a sport. Like, I would hand him, like, you know how you have sides? <laughs> and this is, like, he's a ser- pretty serious actor. Like, he's been doing it a long time, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, I would hand him sides that had, like, a couple of lines written in pencil, like, minutes before we shot, <laughs> you know? They <laughs> scratched onto it. I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, like what we did was a crazy and that's why like the writer for Entertainment Weekly, when he picked up like he heard about some of the story and we talked, he was like, This has gotta go in the magazine. Cause he originally was going to do it like just for online EW. And once he like heard me talk about it, he's like, I gotta get this in the in the magazine. Like <laughs> this is crazy. Like this is a crazy way that to make a movie, you know? Wow. But that explains a lot. Um, that really does. Cause thinking back to all the bowl that I've seen throughout the years here, um, that, that totally lines up with, with what yeah. I've seen and the critiques that I've had, uh, for the film. So now I, you know, I get it. That's, that's exactly how it was made. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, wow. I like, I can't like, listen, like Uva is Uva and you know, I can't like he, you, people can say what they want and they should say a lot of things about him. You know, a lot of um, his stuff doesn't really come together into, you know, a cohesive sort of, you know, like, yeah, yeah. you know, but, yeah. um, 
you know, like I, I have to at least give him props that he had like the imagination in a way to kind of do this. I just feel like, and he said like he could not get the films funded without doing two of them together. Mm. So, you know, I just feel like if we had our own movie and I had like someone write it and then like Willem and I could have, you know, improv stuff because we are, you know, pretty decent improvers and we did come up with like Willem will write some hilarious stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and people quote it on Twitter, which I love. Like, or, and I, like, That's and awesome. I, I wrote a lot of the lines too that people would probably find offensive, you know, like in the trailer, like she moves like a slow tornado. I wrote that line. Like, Oh wow. You know, like a, mm. a lot of it, I was like, I'm just going to take this into my, and like, cause if you can't make fun of yourself and you want to be a comedic actor, like then you, then you're not a comedic actor, you know, yeah. like, and I am perfectly fine making fun of myself because I would rather write lines. Like she was like a caged rhino that hadn't been fed in weeks. My line, mm-hmm. like, that that gives me the power not somebody else writing that and i have to like cringe when they you know yeah i really respect that about you though because uh i knew that you had written a lot of that stuff in and uh even the way that i know you handle yourself and your personality and your confidence i mean your confidence just bubbles over i mean it's it's amazing and i love it uh you have a lot of energy and it, it it's really great <laughs> and i really respect that um especially that you are you're cast in so many of these roles and yeah. uh, that you have this image right now that, uh, you know, a lot of people would be more introverted or something like that. Those kind of feelings. But yeah. I, I love your your energy and your your enthusiasm and your confidence. It, yeah. it, it's really, really cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Like, listen, you know, like you can't, you know, listen, I'm just the, the like. I'm never going to be a size zero. Um, I've lost a lot of weight in the last year and a half. Um, you know, because again, like when I was younger, like, you know, and a lot of stuff, like I was like one of the heaviest actresses working in Hollywood, like really like, uh, like, you know, at a point where like, uh, you know, my agents are just being told like, you know, Lindsay's fantastic. She gives the best read, but she's, you know, too big or whatever. So I really had to make a choice to, you know, lose weight, which I did. So I do look different now than like in the movie and a lot of my old stuff. And, and there'll be some, you know, I think it's going to open up a lot of more doors and stuff, but I always say to people, like, I really up until Barbarella, like I really did try to not take roles that were oh, like just demeaning, you know, a lot of yeah. like my TV and stuff like, yeah, like the character may be made fun of, but I did feel like there was a message. There was some sort of, you know, redeeming, you know, you know, factor to it and stuff. And I've turned down movies like dodgeball, like the fat cheerleader that topples over. Like, right. I turned that audition down. Oh, really? Go to it. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, I did try and then, yeah. You know, I got to blah, blah, I got, well, which I didn't think it was going to be called blah, 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 but, um, you know, and I knew there was going to be fat jokes, not to the extent that there were, because, but when you don't have a script, like, what else do you do? What else do you make fun of? We made fun of, you know, Willem being gay. We made fun of ethnicities. We made fun, like, it was a spoof. And when you do a spoof, you're, you're supposed to do a, like, you know, everyone gets slaughtered kind of thing. But I do want, you know, hope I, I have told a lot of people because I do receive a lot of emails from people all over the world and all throughout my career saying, you know, thank you for being on television. You look like me and I can relate to you. And, um, you know, I've never been shy about saying that I was absolutely, 
you know, made fun of every single day of my life as a kid, all the way, you know, up through high school um, until, you know, I got on the stage and, you know, the kid kind of like my peers saw that I had, you know, I could make them laugh and they kind of laid off a little bit, you know, but I, I mean, I get like that it is a sensitive topic, like weight. And there's just a lot of, you know, people that are dealing with like weight is the one thing that like connects us all together. Like yeah. I'll never be black you know, like never have to worry about, you know, being another ethnicity, but like everybody can be fat, you know, like, yeah. Does that make sense? So I think it's just no, something absolutely. like everyone sort of deals with, but like what I've always said is like it, you have to get into the machine in order to sort of try to change it. And I do think yeah. that there's like a lot of more positive stuff like Melissa McCarthy, you know, like every time she books a show, I've been up for it, you know, but yeah. I love her. I think she's, fantastic and you know we can only hope that like more and more you know roles i mean are being you know that we write that are not always making the fat joke but look at mike and molly like the first season of that yeah. show it's like all fat jokes right. so um you know people just have to understand that like you know as an actor you know you don't have like you don't want it to be like that but you know a lot of times Hollywood is about the stereotype and exploiting the stereotype kind of thing, you know. So yeah, I'm 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 disappointed to see that the image and the visual is all that anybody focuses on, yeah. um, you know. And uh, you know, especially you, I look at you and I I think you're very very beautiful and very talented. And oh, Corey, uh, I already told you the check was in the mail. Oh, you well, don't have scenes in yeah, you. I understand, but this is this is free. This is all free. So oh, okay. So. I was like, I'm, oh yeah. I hit my budget. Don't yeah. Me yeah. Money. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about <laughs> it. But uh, no, I'm serious though. That um, you know, it's. I wish that people would just be able to see the talent and what you can bring personality-wise, and and enthusiasm-wise, and like I did, keep saying, your confidence. I mean, you're, you're just so much fun. I mean, I've just been talking with you for a short time, but I can tell I, I would just love to be in some sort of situation working with you and, and being there with you because I think you could bring so much to it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, again, very sad to me that people see an issue such as weight. They see, you know, body image, things like that. And uh, that's where they stop. Um, yeah, well, it's... I appreciate that. That's really nice of you to say. But I have always said my entire life that my self worth is does not equate to a number on the scale. Like it just doesn't. That's like cool. I don't. Like I, I mean, people can say what they want, and I've had a lot of nasty things said about me. But I will n never allow that to that. Like my how much I weigh does not equal what I am worth as a person, and it breaks my heart that you know that happens to a lot of people, you know, that they, they are made fun of and, you know, and, um, we continue the cycle of bullying and, um, judging people for their weight. And, um, but I like, but that, thank you. I mean, I, like I said, I get a lot, I get a lot of email. I've had a lot of emails all over the years and there's been a lot of times when I've walked into like auditions and, I want to just bring the stack of emails and be like, people want to see diversity in size on television and in film, yes. like give it to them, you know? And the funny thing is like the crazy thing is, is like whenever you have something of si like size or something that's size specific or you put something on, it gets talked about. So I've never understood yeah. why we don't, why you don't see it more. 
because right. magazines and like it, like tell, like they love to talk about it and like so why don't we use it more you know but right. um but you know I don't know we'll see if it changes again we all sort of had hope with Melissa McCarthy and then pilot season roll around and there was like one character role um in one pilot and it went to re- for like that could be overweight and it went to Rachel Dratch and I was like, wait a second, Melissa McCarthy just like won the Emmy. She's Oscar nominated, you know, like Amazing. where are the roles? And they're like, I not like, I, and I know most of the women who, you know, go out and stuff and no one went out for pilot season. Wow. wow. So we don't know. We'll see. Maybe it'll get better. You know, it's kind of like I said, it's a bad time right now. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. All around. It's yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. It's but, a uh, sad time in Hollywood. Please yeah. send money to starving actors. <laughs> Well, that's what I mean. Hopefully people are going to support what you do. And, uh, you know, even, you know, crazy Uva Bowl films that are coming out. I hope they will support these knowing that, again, it's an indie effort. And, uh, you know, all of the talent that's going into this uh, is is really worthwhile as far as the dollars go. And, um, the, yeah, you know, the, the money talks. Yeah. So, well, we just have to get back to, um, there, you know, having an economy that people have extra money to invest in film because that's what the problem is, is they're making like, I think it's around 50% less films are in production. So what happens are all those film stars, I'm using my quote fingers, even though you can't see them (laughs) are coming down to do television and like all the actors, like, you know, I mean, like me, these people, like maybe you'll recognize them, but you don't know their names because they've been doing like these roles. Like, we're being pushed down to like nothing, you know, like, I mean, I've had so many people like agents, friends and everything be like, I have, I have clients with two page guest stars, two pages of guest stars. I can't get them in for stuff, you know? Wow. So that's the problem. That's the core of it right there. Like we need to make, we need, there needs to be more money. So people are making films and, but like, we're in a double recession. Like who's going to be like, yeah, let's, you know, make a $15 million, you know? Yeah. Let me give you $15 million for an action film. You know, everything is so riding on, you know, there's just this like, you know, pressure for everything to succeed. You know, it's the same with television. You know, they're not giving television a chance anymore because it's too expensive. They just can't, you know, like mm-hmm. I had, um, I have a really good friend that I did an episode of Cold Case with who's on Revenge. I don't know if you're a TV watcher at all. I, I watch pretty much The Walking Dead and then whatever my wife watches, which actually it, it's interesting just on a complete side note here. Um, she's a big Days of Our Lives watcher. And I was telling her, uh, you know, I'm, I'm telling her, oh, I'm going to talk with this actress tonight. And and uh, oh, she was on Days of Our Lives. And she's like, oh, really? What what she do? And I mentioned I, I showed her your picture and then I mentioned uh, the name. And she's like. Oh yeah, I remember her back so and so, and I forget um, Adam. It's something Adams. Um, Susan. Uh, yes, and <laughs> no joke. She she remembered who you were on Days of Our Lives, That's and uh, so- which was actually a really cool thing that me and my wife could actually connect on. You know, ah. like a this kind of thing because she, you know, she's not into this horror podcasting stuff at all. But uh, so that that was you know that was really cool. That's but awesome. um, yeah, oh, they yeah. pretty much like took the storyline from Boston public and called me and they were like, do you want to play this part? <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Hey, <laughs> hey why not? Um, oh, yeah. oh yeah. But no, but just really quick. The story about revenge was they shot it uh, in like North Carolina, the pilot. And, um, 
then like there was this big push to have it moved to Los Angeles. And my friend, Nick Wexler, who um, plays the, the like love interest, best friend or like bartender or whatever on that show, anyone who watches the show should know him was like super worried because like it, adds like a million dollars or something like that to wow. uh, every episode to shoot it in Los Angeles, you know? <laughs> and he's like, and I mean, thankfully for him and for the show, it's a, it's a hit and it's yeah. going to continue. But that's what he, like he's saying is like, if you know, there's, there's, it's just too expensive. So if the show's like just doing mediocre, they're going to just yank it, you know, yeah. because it's so expensive to produce it now. And, um, and that's why they want to just put star names in like every, you know, show, right? like, you know, there's, I mean, hello, like all, I mean, many driver had a pilot that didn't go this year. Like every, you know, every pilot had like five star names in it. I think, you know, it felt like, so that's rough. Man. That's... So, yeah. So no, I don't want to end this on like a depressing note, but well, no, no that's I, the reality. I mean, that's, that's yeah. where we are. I was going to say, when I tell people, like, anybody who wants to get, like, mouthy about Blubberella, I just say, I bought a house. And <laughs> the end. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's where, it, I mean, as as an actress, I mean, you, you have to, you can't always have exactly the kind of roles that are your dream roles in everything. And, I mean, you, you got you to gotta take what there is, especially now. And, yeah. um so, no, I completely understand that. And I hope I hope a lot of people out there that are listening do right now as well so if if not they can send me angry emails <laughs> i hope not i hope not you don't deserve no, any angry so emails lucky. i've been so lucky like people send me like i think people more people get it than not definitely good you know and i am so lucky that i've like i i have a very small fan base but they're like really cool people and i we connect on twitter quite often i'm on twitter awesome. that's my shout out for anybody who wants to follow me on twitter well, that's how we connected, which was yeah. uh, really cool, actually. Yeah, so. no, like, isn't that great? Yeah, like, just yeah. knowing somebody who, you know, yeah, like, I love it. So, um, so yeah, no, I'm really, I'm really lucky because I have some amazing fans that have, you know, written me over the years, and they just think, you know, they're like, we appreciate you, you know, navigating Hollywood being far from a size zero, you know, so yeah. I... I'm very lucky. I'm trust me. I mean, I want for more, of course. I hope for more, and um, you know, and I will, and hopefully, like I said, I'll continue to work and do some really fun roles. So I hope you do because you deserve. Uh, oh. You deserve more. You you really do. So um, thank you. I, I wish you all the best, and and thank you uh, for for you know being very open about this kind of thing. We could oh. go on for hours about horror film. I love. It. I oh. love. It. And I'm I'm hoping you can come on again, and um, you know we can we can talk about more things. But uh, I know we've been talking a lot again, you know, just a, a lot tonight. And I'm hoping that you have a little more time to review this movie with me and to talk about uh, the movie that you suggested that uh, we we watch and and talk about on the show tonight. Because oh, uh, right. I'm I'm really uh, interested to to talk about it and to hear what you think and and just. Uh, just go on about it. So uh, you, you picked out Absentia, which is a 2011 film, um, and it's one that I've wanted to see. And like I told you, I'm really glad that you brought this up because I've wanted to see it as well. And whenever you said it, it immediately moved it to the top of my watch list, you know, yeah. that uh, is a million miles long. So um, this is it's an indie film directed by uh, Mike Flanagan. Um, is there any specific reason 
that you wanted to uh, watch this and talk about it tonight? Well, yeah. In full disclosure, I um, I know Morgan Peter Brown, who played the um, the missing husband. Oh, cool. Um, we I know him uh, socially, like really good friends of really good friend of really good friends, and now I do consider him to be a friend. And um, I was invited to the. Um, oh my goodness. Oh, I can't remember the horror. The, it was a festival and it was closing night. This is horrible. I have a memory of a goldfish. Um, I can't remember what it was, but it was in Hollywood. And, mm, okay. uh, you know, he had invited me. And it's really hard for me to go see, you know, movies. And, um, you know, you, afterwards you have to prepare yourself. Because most of the time they're horrible. And you, yeah. you're like, what do you Like, oh, the lighting was really good. You know, like. <laughs> Your yeah. your voice gets like really high pitched. I know and, what you mean. Yep. Yeah. And um, so I have to tell you, like watching that movie to me, I think like it makes a lot of sense of why I loved it so much because of what I went on about. Yeah. You know, the original Halloween is that it was the it was what you weren't seeing, and it was the build of you know this unknown, and you really I really got into the characters. And I felt like the jumps were genuine jumps, you know, like I really, yes. you know, didn't see that coming. I mean, I mean, like, hello, like how many times can like some uh, character be at the medicine cabinet, open it, shut the, you know, the, <laughs> the mirror and like there's the ghost behind them, you know, like, right. you know, and I felt like they, you know, um, really did some original stuff with this movie. And um, and like the other thing about the movie, it was just knowing like they did it on a micro budget and their cinematographer is a wedding photographer. Like seriously. I, yeah. For wow. real. So like, I like, I just thought it was just the like coolest little independent horror film. I knew that the money, like barely any money, no stars, no, no, like any, no one to like anchor this film to sell it. And it just started like winning all of these festivals because I just felt like they went back to like the core of filmmaking like tell a really good story about the about characters first of all absentia means you know people file for absentia if they're like if your husband or your loved one or your wife or whatever goes missing for a certain amount of years you can mm -hmm. have them considered in absentia which means they're like dead basically dead with no body yeah I just, I never even knew that term. So I was like, that's so cool. Like, even like that is really cool to base a horror movie off of, you know? Yeah. So basically like for people who haven't seen it yet, like there's this, you know, woman and she, her husband's been went missing one day and it had been like, I want like seven years or something. Yeah. And she, she meets someone else. She's pregnant with another man's child and she decides to have her husband declared in absentia and she starts seeing him and like that's just to me that gives me chills just the basic like like taking something like that like i don't really feel has ever been done you know in that way and um and you know like adding obviously there's a lot of there's horror elements to it and oh yeah uh, yeah and i yeah like i just feel like i just like I just would rather watch that over like some big budget horror film that's just, you know, not you don't you don't even know who any of the people are. Like half the cast looks like each other, you know, like Exactly. This you know, this was yeah. so original. Um yeah. just I have never seen a movie like this and and you have to the next time you run into Morgan Peter Brown, um 
Hopefully he'll listen to this because I'm gonna put it on oh. Twitter and he's my on Twitter. So you better be listening, Morgan. <laughs> I hope so. He totally freaked me out. Totally yeah. freaked me out in this. Oh my god, was brilliant. I, it was possibly my favorite role in this that's whole awesome. film. Um, oh, that's so cool. Because the way, oh man. And again, I I hate to spoil things. Yeah. But when he comes back, like yeah. I'm just I'm getting chills right now thinking about the things that he says, the way that he acts, even his look, he was very pale, very weird. I mean, you just, you didn't know what was going on with this guy. I know. And, oh my God. So I applaud his performance. I mean, that's awesome. And and that's not to say that I don't think anybody else did well in this film. I I think everybody did a phenomenal job uh, in their roles. Of course, uh, you know, um, uh, Courtney Bell as pretty much the lead actress, um, you know, as Trisha, who, yeah. like you said, she's pregnant. She is really struggling. Her her husband has been gone. She has no idea what happened to him. She has a lot of theories, but right. has no idea. Um, and but it's been seven that, years. Yeah, so, sorry to interrupt really quick. No. But wasn't that so freaking cool how they like wove in like what could have happened to him? I love too? it. Like little faux it, plas- uh, flashbacks. Yeah. yeah. Little like yeah, like it's not yeah little like. Flat, like flashes of like what could have happened like and the way that they did it seemed like part of the movie it didn't distract you from the movie it, well it was what was going on inside of her head you know as she, yeah. as she was thinking about these scenarios and uh yeah brilliant. and the chick who plays her sister i thought was like i mean because most of the time and this is what i told morgan you know when we were standing out i'm scream fest thank you i knew i'd think of it eventually oh, cool cool so we're standing outside <laughs> And I was like, Morgan, you know, most of the time you see these movies, these low budget horror movies. And like, you know, I don't like they have to put their like sister in it or they have to put somebody in it. And they're just terrible. And I was like, this cast was solid. And um, like uh, Katie Parker, who played the sister, like I was like that. I was like, if I was an agent, I would sign her right now. Yes. Yes. Because um, she's natural and totally had like the comedic moments and um and yeah and i was just super impressed with the acting because it was so natural and i mean like total like mike flanagan i ended up having i never met him until that night um and he's the director the writer the producer the editor you know (laughs) i mean everything like he's cutting this probably on his mac you know like people have to understand like amazing hard to do that and make it quality but I had lunch with him and I was like, I was like, I, whatever, if you ever find anything to put me in, it would be a dream to work with you. Mm. You are sick, talented. Like I would love to do anything. And he was like, we really love, you know, we like you, like you, like you a lot. We love your career. You know, we'd love to be able to find something. And so hopefully something will happen. I mean, he's, you know, he's totally like blowing up. He's got like, two movies have already been like bought and you know i mean people can see the talent like you can mm-hmm. see it in them in a movie like that um oh. justin gordon who played um one of the detectives the one who chewed the gum like yes Morgan and justin you know are producers and they produce the film and you know i mean i'm just telling you everyone in this town would love to be an actor producer like ha- like we all have our own you know film companies but like these guys really did it and they did it with like zero freaking money they they did the you know um what do you call it the the rate the you know the money raising through oh like crowdsourcing um um, kind of thing through like uh 
Is that through no, like the, Indiegogo or? Yeah, exactly. No, what's the other one besides Indiegogo? Oh, Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Yeah. They funded this movie through Kickstarter, and um, I, you know, wow. like like I said, it was still a micro budget. And, um, I was like, you did. And I was like, that's so impressive. You know how much I would love to have, I've written scripts. I have like the, I have a horror comedy that like, if I could ever be standing on set and filming it, I would cry. Like it would be. And I, and so I said to these guys and we all had lunch, I was like, just know like total respect, you know, for what you did. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just amazing that you did it. You wrote it and you just, and you stuck to your guns you didn't make it cheesy. You didn't sell out trying to make it for, you know, teenage boys or, yes. you know, some sort of genre. You made the movie that you wanted to make and it has integrity and it has, I keep saying heart, but like, you know, I, I feel like those are the best movies when you really know that there's a pulse there. There's like humanity there. You care about the characters and Absentia is just one of those films. And I'm, I know I was like, I know they thought I was like, batshit crazy like how much I was going <laughs> on about it at like one point it was probably just like embarrassing because I know what it's like when people like go on and on about me and I'm like calm down I don't want to hear like you know but um, I just was really I was so impressed with it um I bought my copy you know I was like I'm proud to have this in my life I, I would have bought this film if I stumbled across <clears throat> excuse me this film on Netflix which I would have mm -hmm. <clears throat> I would have been like this is so freaking cool. So I'm really, I, yeah, it's just one of those movies where like, you know, yeah, if you're totally just into like, you know, gore or like, you know, caged movies, like capture, like don't want, or captivity, like don't watch it because it's just, you know, it's a different sort of you know, horror film. And the fact that like, it freaks you the F out, but like, yes. does it a really interesting way you know and i love so yeah i love movies like that yeah like it haunts me like when i just go to bed when i think about it you know yeah this movie creeped me out the whole time right? and that was that was the beauty of it um and as as you know you were talking about the the actors and uh doug jones actually has a cameo in here oh yeah doug jones totally like freaky but he's he's a big name he's yeah. uh you know, big deal, but, uh, yeah, he's but like the, small part, you know, it wasn't like yeah. any of the leads, you know, but you remember it. Yeah. I mean, you, you remember that, that specific scene in the tunnel when he's laying there and, and it's just, it's yeah. weird. I mean, it, it, this whole movie is it, so weird because the brilliance in it is that you're questioning what's real and what's not. Um, because a yeah. lot of it, you're seeing through the lens of Callie who has this history of drug use and rehab, and she's still kind of involved in that throughout this movie. You know, I, I think she takes a, you know, she, I'm not sure what exactly she takes, but uh, it's, um, it's something. So she's, she's high when a lot of this happens. And so even at the yeah. end of the movie, I mean, you could, you could go both ways. You could be like, well, you know, she just saw all of this crazy stuff happening because she was high. And exactly. it, this was all just due to some kind of serial killer thing, whatever. But yeah. also, I mean, you, you could go the other way where she saw what we saw on, on screen. And what we saw on screen was, I think, brilliant. It was just enough, just enough that you're like, oh, my God, you're freaked out. And I, I'm not going to give it away. It's like I'm having a hard time kind of I know. dancing around uh, what you see. But I, I guarantee you, you will not expect what comes up probably 
halfway two thirds into the movie. I mean, it takes a turn exactly. for the crazy at, at one point. Um, That's what's so brilliant about yeah. it. Like, and I don't feel in any way it's like, like, I don't want to, like, I don't, like, you know how there's movies where it's like, it leaves it up to you at the end. Like, you know, like whether I, I you right. know, you know, time when people get like really pissed off, like, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, like it's, Inception, it's, you know, it's like, you know, you cut away right before the freaking, you know, well, top this, stuff spinning, you know, this shows you stuff, but you're still questioning it. Yeah. So I feel like this movie is not, I don't feel like you walk away frustrated because right. you, 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 you know, but yeah, it totally could be like a, well, that's how it, it ended. And then the person next to you is like, well, no, it was like this. And that's cool. You know, right. like. I, I, I totally agree with you. Like you, you know, it's such a good movie to sort of see with people and to discuss with people um, if you're horror fans. And I just thought it was a cool little movie. And like, again, like when you're in this business and you know how hard it is to make a movie, like there's so many elements, like all different, you know, you're like right brain people, left brain people, everyone is coming together to sort of do this. And for them to make that movie, that's just, as solid as it is on the budget that they did, you know, like that's what people need to be impressed with, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. This is why I have so much more faith in indie horror than I do in like mainstream, big budget Hollywood horror, which will give you a one decent movie out of a hundred. Exactly. And with the indie thing, I mean, you have people that'll just go out on a limb. They'll just take risks. They'll do crazy stuff that, it might in everybody's eyes be crazy, but it's their vision. And they'll just yeah. go ahead and do it because, again, they're not in the big budget machine that we see. And, well, exactly. Like, and that's and that's the problem with movies and you hear stories. Like, I think like A Night with Kevin Smith, I don't know if you've ever seen him like do – like he does like these talks and you can rent um, – you can rent it on DVD and he talks about like... Oh, I've never seen that with yeah, him. Yeah, you should see it. Yeah, it's called like A Night with Kevin Smith. And I can't remember what movie he's talking about, but he, he goes through this whole discussion he has with a producer. And the producer's like, can't you just put like this giant octopus? It was something like ridiculous <laughs> like that. Like I can't, like again, like yeah. don't, I mean, anybody who's seen it is probably screaming right now. Like, no, it's this. But like, <laughs> like it's something he goes through, like how ridiculous it was, like getting notes back from the, you know, studio and what you have to deal with. So, you know, and, you know, and I've spoken with Peter and Morgan, Peter Brown, and they, um, you know, they're dealing with that with their other stuff now, because now they've got, you know, film companies that want to do their next stuff and they're putting in their input and, you know, you start to lose a little bit of that creative control, you know? So, um, it's really hard to maintain, like I said, to maintain integrity because a lot of times I, you know, I hate to say it, but the money people in Hollywood are not the creative people. That's right. why they're money people, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, but I highly suggest absentia. Yes, me too. I get nothing from it except for maybe the, except for the fact that I honestly think it's an awesome movie, but also maybe one day, Mike and Morgan and Justin will all put me in a movie. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, number one on the call sheet. <laughs> I hope so, because, again, you definitely deserve it. And these people, again, you know, Mike and, and Morgan, everybody just, oh, my God, blew me away, blew me away. And okay. if you get yourself tied up with all these people that have this kind of talent, right? there, there's no telling what you guys are going to do. 
it's Aww. it's gonna be great so uh that's yeah. so cool to hear you say because i know you wouldn't say it unless you really felt that way so no absolutely it's it's one of those movies again why i love horror because it's internal and it sticks with you you know it's a movie yeah. you don't forget it and when you start thinking about it you start getting chills and you start getting those same kind of emotions and feelings that you had while you were watching it as you're remembering it and that's exact. i mean i'm picturing a lot of the scenes and things that we talked about in here and i'm getting goosebumps again i mean i'm thinking you know wow this really freaked me out and that is so effective Um, that's awesome yeah well that's exactly how i felt and like i said sometimes it's you know like i said it's hard to stick your neck out about any you know movie because um you never know how someone's going to feel about it, but I really feel like people like do genuinely really love this movie. And, and that's, it won like so many film festivals and, um, you know, it's like for, for people who are like horror fanatics and just have tired of seeing the same old stuff over and over again. Like, I think they're just genuinely, you know, surprised, like pleasantly surprised by absentia. Yeah. It's a and, breath of fresh air for sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, it really is. And and like I said, for these guys to, you know, that takes, that's such talent. It really is to write that, like direct that, like Mike is crazy talented. And like I said, they're all talented, but like, you know, to be the the guy, the helm, you know, the, the guy behind the boat, you know, steering it and stuff. And, um, but I said, even like the cinematographer, I was like, I want to meet the, I want to meet the cinematographer. Like, who is this guy? Like he made it, you know, is really creepy and shadowy, but like still really well lit. Cause you know, you've seen yeah. movies that are like, you can't see anything. Blubberella. Go watch that one. <laughs> How bad lighting is on that one, you know? Oh no, I was, I was admiring that. He did a lot of uh, really cool steady cam shots, like during the running scenes, you know, when she was going through the tunnel and yeah. uh, the way that they, they shot so many of those things. It was great. This guy and, shoots uh, weddings. And I'm not yeah. saying that like, oh, wedding, you know, videographers are shitty because they're not. I'm saying he's not, he didn't have a background in like features, you right. know, like that's, I was like, I remember meeting him. I'm like, um, you're crazy talented. Like, this is what you should be doing, you know? So you better be getting like top dollar for those weddings. I mean, seriously. Yeah, I, I was like, I would shoot my wedding, man. Yeah, are you Jeez. kidding? My wedding's going to look like <laughs> Gone with the Wind. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I just, like, I geeked out on these guys so hardcore. Like, I really did. And I don't do that. Like, I honestly, I don't, I feel like I would so rather have someone not say anything at all than to give me, you know, um, anything but genuine feedback. So, right. Like I said, I just go, oh, hi, I have to go. I have to get up in the morning for an audition. We're great, you know. And Yeah. I, like, licked these guys because, um, yeah, like, these are these are the guys that are going to be, like, up and coming, you know, like, the next generation. And I want to know these guys, you know. Yeah. It's kind of like, and this, I'll leave you with this last story because this is going to be, like, the world's longest podcast. But um, <laughs> it's kind of like way back in the day, um, I – audition for Judd Apatow's undeclared really? and they they the casting directors knew me they didn't have a part for me they're like we just want you to come in for Judd and just improv and it was and I you know I thought it went pretty well considering like again I was improving I didn't have there wasn't a part I they didn't end up writing one for me but I was like if I had gotten in on the ground floor of the Apatow <laughs> imagine where my career would be right now you know right I was like damn it <laughs> wow you know what i'm saying like you want to get in on these guys when they're like 
right? Beginning their trajectory up, you know, because they'll, they're, you know, they're loyal and they'll, you know, they'll put you in stuff and, you know, it's good to be part of that crowd. But right. so Judd Apatow, if you're listening randomly, <laughs> remember the girl who came in and talked about her gym socks for 20 minutes. That was <laughs> Lindsay Hulser. That's awesome. <laughs> and I could, I could keep going for just like the rest of the night here and just, you know, know. keep, keep talking with you, but, uh, me an editing hell for you. So no, no way. I don't think I'm going to take out any of this cause it's, it's just great. And, uh, I just appreciate that you can, uh, come on and talk with me and just have so much fun. Oh, and, uh, well, no, it's been great. I mean, it's been wonderful talking to you. I promise you part two. So we'll just have something to look forward to. How's that? I'm going to hold you to that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hope so. So, uh, Lindsay, again, uh, where can people find out more about you? You have your IMDb page and uh, your personal website. And, of course, everything will be up in uh, on my website in the show notes for this. But uh, where can people uh, find out more about you? Uh, well, I have my own website that don't judge me. I do it myself. It's like website tonight. But, hey, you know, once it's I get nice. a show, yeah. I'll have it. It's okay. It's basic. But it's lindsayhollister.net or .com. Either one will get you there. But it's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y and then Hollister, H-O-L-L-I-S-T-E-R. On Twitter, um, my name is just one letter short of fitting on there, which I hate. Thanks, Twitter. Can't yeah. you just one letter so it's lynn's hollister l-i-n-d-s-h-o-l-l-i-s-t-e-r um on twitter um and yeah that's how you can find me like i'm i'm a social networking whore so i do i do love the twitter if you're talking about blubberella i'm probably gonna see it (laughs) be kind understand things happen um and uh and yeah so that's how you can find me so i really appreciate it it's been a lot of fun it has. And uh, again, I hope to talk with you and um, you know, we'll, be, uh, we'll be in touch, definitely. So thanks again, Lindsay. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Let me give you a piece of advice, folks. If you want to get a little head start on the undead, toss them a couple of children. Well, I get emails from Amazon, of course, recommendations from Amazon based on stuff that I buy and stuff that I browse around and look at on the website. So here a few weeks ago, I get a recommendation for zombie fairy tales. And immediately my interest is piqued because, well, first of all, zombies, you know, and zombie fairy tales. This sounds really cool. So I started checking it out. And man, this series is a series of short stories is a lot of fun. And I'm really happy to be talking right now with the author of zombie fairy tales, Mr. Kevin Ritchie. Kevin, thank you for joining me tonight. No problem, Corey. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Man, like I said, this kind of came out of nowhere, just a a recommendation email from Amazon. (laughs) And uh, I'm so glad that I discovered this. So can you tell everybody out there what Zombie Fairy Tales is all about and and kind of how they're being released? Yeah, um, well, Zombie Fairy Tales is a monthly series of short stories, and they're all set in the same um, fairy tale village, and it's plagued by zombies. And so each entry retells um, a traditional fairy tale and gives it a really dark new twist um, with violence and um, dark humor and horror. And we've done some like Zombie Cinderella, Hansel and Gretel Are Dead, Zombie Pinocchio, and Blood Red Riding Hood. Beautiful. I I read Zombie Cinderella. And man, (laughs) I cannot wait to read more. (laughs) That blew me away. Like, it it starts out... um, you know, very fairy tale like. I mean, you did a great job 
of kind of capturing the voice and and telling a, a fairy tale in a way that you would be used to hearing a fairy tale. Um, and then, wow, it gets <laughs> crazy. It's brutal, very gory, just like so satisfyingly revengeful um, when you get to the end. And I just loved it. Um, so this is really cool. So you're, you're kind of, uh, weaving all of this together in a single universe, like you said, in a single right. town basically, mm-hmm. which is uh, really fascinating. So what, what gave you this crazy idea? Well, actually the idea for, um, zombie Cinderella came a few years ago. I went to, um, New York university for film production and we always had to do all these new short films every week. And, um, I would always have all these ideas that I couldn't use because of budget and time constraints. And one of my ideas was Zombie Cinderella, pretty much how the story is. And there was no way that, um, as a student filmmaker with very limited resources, I could do it. But the idea stuck with me. And um, I do a lot of writing. And last fall, I was looking to start an anthology series. And I still had the idea for Zombie Cinderella. So I started looking at other fairy tales that I could do in the same series. Awesome. And uh, yeah, I can tell you're having a lot of fun with it. And you're doing 12 <laughs> of these. Um, you know, throughout 2012, like you said, on the 13th right. of every month, 13th uh, of every month, the new zombie fairy tales. That's yes. Right. Yes. So, um, now is there a chance? I mean, you, you're very talented. Like I said, your writing is, is really, really great. And, um, is there a chance that, uh, I don't know if you maybe keep going with these after 2012, do you have a plan or is that pretty much just well, going to be actually- it? Right. Well, 2012 is going to be it for Zombie Fairy Tales, but I've already decided to add on three more entries to the 12. Um, there's going to be double entries in October, November, and December, um, sort of holiday entries. There's going to be a Halloween one, a Thanksgiving one, and a Christmas one. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I can't wait. I can't wait. These are a <laughs> lot of fun. And, uh, I, uh, you know, you, you have the cover art, um, it, actually up on Amazon and, and the website, zombiefairytales.com. Um, Great. and I love, I love the covers for these. Um, they look, uh, the, the photography is really great. Is there a story behind those or how you, uh, how you came about, um, uh, getting those done? Um, well, the, the general idea for the covers was to make it look like a cross between like a comic book cover and a Goosebumps book. Um, that was an idea. Um, I was a big fan of Goosebumps when I was a kid, and it was part of the initial um, inspiration for making this a monthly series. Because I remembered when I was a kid, I would look forward to like a new entry every month. So I thought that would be a good way to do a series. So, um, but the covers are just. Um, I did a lot of zombie films in college, and so I was used to doing zombie makeup. And my boyfriend David is a photographer, so he does a lot of photography anyway. And so it was just a natural um, collaboration. And then we have a friend who designs um, fashion and clothes. Um, his name is Desiato Khan. And so he did all the costumes for this. So we just had people that we knew um, pose for the different uh, fairy tale people. It, they're beautiful. You did a great job with that. Thank like, you. Uh, that's, you have so many talents. It's like, is there <laughs> anything you can't do? That's, uh, <laughs> man. <laughs> I don't really have any musical ability, so you won't see me releasing any songs anytime soon. Okay, I, I, I can forgive you for that. That's, that's all right. But, right. Uh, no, that's that's really cool. So um, my favorite, favorite like horror subgenre is zombies. And you said you, you've done zombie films, you know, just in, in school and things like that. Um, so I'm curious, like, 
I'm reading, you know, like I said, Zombie Cinderella, and mm-hmm. I'm seeing this so perfectly as a a, a great short film. Um, right. Is is maybe something like that being considered? Um, well, I thought about maybe after the series is done in short story form, maybe doing a graphic novel, graphic novel anthology. So, because I tend to think very visually when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to New York University originally for dramatic writing, which is screenplays and stage plays. And then I transferred over into the film department. So I still have a lot of that filmic thinking when I approach a story. Yeah. I think you, that, you write very visually. Like I said, I was seeing it in my head as I was mm-hmm. reading it. I mean, it, it's very easy to do that. So you, you craft your words in that mm-hmm. way. So uh, you did that very well. But I, I'd love to see these. I mean, just the <laughs> just Cinderella. I mean, you did the great things with the, the fat sister and the skinny sister and the right. evil stepmother. You hated, you hated that <laughs> stepmother, you know? And, and you just really um, uh, amplified that. Right. <laughs> in this story and uh it just it worked together really well so um yeah, but yeah that would be great um is are any of your other films like your zombie stuff or anything else you've done is that uh is that available to see anywhere or was that just kind oh, of no, a... that's all way too embarrassing to <laughs> the public right now <laughs> oh man well what i take it you're a horror fan i mean that's that's kind of obvious I, I am a horror fan, yes. So what are some of your favorites uh, as far as the, the films go? Um, well, I think my favorite horror film is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Nice. nice. Um, of zombie films. I like Romero. I like his earlier films better. Mm-hmm. Um, Amen. He gets a little campier towards the end. You're putting uh, it very kindly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can... I have stronger words for those, but uh. sure. um, I also really like um, Dario Argento. I was a huge fan of him oh, in film school, awesome. and like every other film shot was like an homage to one of his shots in his films, even if it wasn't even supposed to be a horror film. Oh yeah, that's great. Uh, I get I get uh, really polarized opinions of him. Uh, in the horror community when I talk to people. People either seem to love him or hate him. You know, there's nobody that's like, I think, oh, yeah, I Argento's think, okay. You know, he's, I mean, his his films can be violent, but they're not really that scary. They're much more stylized, and I think that might be what divides people. Like, yeah. they're really fiercely stylized. Yeah, they're beautiful is what they are. I mean, just the they way are. He, he tells stories with visuals and his use of lighting and, and uh, music. You know, I love that, you know, Goblin, his relationship with Goblin (laughs) is is just awesome. And um, the way they they crafted their music to go along with him, and he worked with them very, very closely. To the point where I think he was almost considered like part of the band at one point. Some people people actually have said, oh, yeah, wasn't Argento in Goblin at one point? And and, uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's really cool, though. That's, uh, I I really appreciate that you like Argento. Um, In the Fulci? Um, I've seen some of his stuff. I couldn't get into his as much. Um, a lot of a lot of my horror viewing has been like sampling of one thing or another. Mm-hmm. Um, who else do I like? Baba, by any chance? Um, I don't think I've seen any of his. Oh, I recommend um, Black Sabbath, um, mm-hmm. which is on Netflix, I think, and um, mm-hmm. Black Sunday. Um, yeah, some great, great stuff. Again, he he's real similar visually uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways to Argento. 
Um, mm-hmm. Especially, you know, you watch Black Sabbath, which is an, an anthology uh, a film that he did. It's uh, like three, uh, I think three stories. And uh, just the way they're lit and shot, the way he uses lighting and, and things like that, he, he does a great job. And it's very reminiscent of Argento. Um, so actually, he came before Argento. So Argento is reminiscent of him. I, I don't know. But, Argento uh, stole from everybody, though. He was, I think, Hitchcock's the one that he stole the most from. Yeah, yeah, that's just it. Um, but he did it well, you know? So, no, he did. They're very entertaining. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, what's your favorite Argento film? Um, probably deep red. Ooh, good one. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. I'm, I'm tied actually between uh, deep red and Suspiria. Yeah. How do you um, feel about the Suspiria remake that's happening? Uh, <laughs> well, I'd like to be very open-minded. Um, you know, and I, I, I won't just dismiss remakes just because they're remakes. Um, because mm-hmm. I really loved, you know, the Dawn of the Dead remake. I thought it was a great movie. I thought that was, yeah, I really liked that one. Um, it's one know, of the best opening sequences. Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen 10 minutes in film much better than that. Um, it's just uh, outstanding. So, um, I don't know, but just to recreate that magic uh, that was going on in the 70s and the way Argento visioned it and shot it and executed it made everything come together, oh, it's going to be really hard to do. Uh, I'm interested. I'm, I'm going to see it, no doubt. Right. Um, but... Uh, well, it's also going to be hard because Argento is like 95% about style and like his scripts and dialogue were so secondary. Oh, so yeah. if that's what they're going to be going off of, it's just how are they going to approach that? Yeah, a lot of the beauty of him is uh, like a lot of his stuff really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it's just <laughs> kind of like an experience, you know, especially getting to the, the three mothers, you know, kind of thing with Suspiria and Inferno. It's right. like you're just seeing a, a big montage of just crazy images and, and weirdly lit things. And and uh, it's more about that and not so much about a linear plot that is easily followed. Um, so for somebody else to pick up and try to emulate that, especially with Suspiria, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be tough. And uh, I... I you know, I'm not getting my hopes up by any means, and hopefully, if I keep my hopes really low for this, maybe it'll <laughs> pleasantly surprise me. You know, so that's right. that's where I'm well, shooting for. As far as remakes go, the only one that I think might be actually any good is the Carrie remake that they're talking about because hmm. they've got a really interesting group of talent. Yes. One. True. True. That's uh, that's going to be interesting, but uh, you know, again, that's already been remade. Um, yeah, it has. So this is like, like the second remake, and do we? It might be the third remake. They did a TV version too, I believe. Oh my god! Yeah, so <laughs> it's like, really? Do we need this? I mean, the original one to me is is great. You know, I love Sissy Spacek and and how and her she mother and that. Yeah, yeah, it's just <laughs> awesome. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. How did you feel? Uh, now this is a big, big controversial one about the Halloween remake. That, uh, Rob uh, the Zombie Rob did. Zombie one. I yeah. actually liked that a lot. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. I don't like. It's very different from the original. It's different enough that it doesn't really feel like it's violating the original. And um, they also took a different angle. Um, they developed Michael Myers' backstory a lot. Like they spent like over a third of the film just him as a child. Yeah. So yeah, I thought yeah, that you, was good. You sound like the kind of guy though, which is cool that can. Uh separate the remakes from the originals and uh you don't freak out about uh anything happening to the original like a lot of people are like well if they remake halloween 
then no one's going to go back and watch the original. All the kids grown up being horror fans nowadays are just going to see the Rob Zombie Halloween and they're just going to forget the Carpenter I think, Halloween. I think the opposite is true. I think introducing people to a franchise, even a remake, is going to lead more people back to the original than not. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I think people who are really into it are going to seek out uh, what's come before it. And, well, uh, similar similar to how if you really like a movie that you know is based on a book, you'll go and you'll check out the book afterwards. True. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so I don't, uh, you know, again, I won't automatically dismiss remakes. Um, although there are a lot of bad ones out there. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of bad ones. But um, of, yeah. Just a lot of bad movies out there too. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's but, not limited to remakes. True, true. Um, but there are some out there that are so bad that they're good. You know, have you seen any of those? Just like <laughs> the ones that are just so outlandish and so ridiculous and so so incompetent, I guess, in, in a lot of areas that you just enjoy watching them just because of that, you know. Um, like Nicolas Cage movies are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like... Um, the, the Wicker Man remake? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I, I have a hard time with any Nicolas Cage. Just That guy just bugs me. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, um, like redneck zombie. Have you ever seen redneck zombies? I have. I have not seen that. No. What? What is that? It's a, it's actually a trauma film. Um, mm. So I don't know if you're into the whole trauma thing, but uh, yeah, it's you know it's not very well done. It's kind of cheesy, very very campy, very tongue in cheek. But but at the same time, it has a lot of gore. You know, and it's just mm. outlandishly gory. And uh, so that's one that uh, I put on the so bad it's good and that, oh man, there are others. I had a whole podcast just dedicated to movies that were <laughs> so bad that they were good. Um, hard rock zombies, uh, death metal zombies. A lot of zombie ones made the list for some reason. No, it's, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and then there are, there are films that, like you know they're not good, but they're just such a bizarre premise. Like there was this film that came out last year, I think it was a Norwegian film called Saint, and it was a horror film about Santa Claus. And it was about this sort of like gothic Santa Claus coming after and like murdering all these people and like yes, it was it was enjoyable because it was a bizarre premise, but it wasn't like I don't know if that's good or bad. Like it's in sort of this gray area where it's just so bizarre that I don't know what to think of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I'm gonna have to seek that one out. That sounds fun. <laughs> oh man, speaking now, I, I'm just going all over the place because you know, like I said, I just uh, I like talking about horror films and. When I get a guy like you on that you know knows his films and is into horror, I just kind of just go with it here. But um, talking about Norway, um, there's a, a film I just reviewed on the podcast not long ago. Um, it's Norwegian. Uh, it's a, one of the found footage films. It's called Troll Hunter. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. I haven't seen that yet, though. Ooh, that should go <laughs> to like the top of your list. Um, it's, uh, it's a brilliant film. Um, now, it is, like I said, found footage. You know, mm-hmm. one of these things. Um, are you into found footage films or do you not? I am, like, I've seen most of them. So, I mean, I'm open to it, but it tends to be just an excuse to get something out cheap and quickly. So, as long as it's actually got an original concept, it can be okay. Yeah, yeah, true. But, um, and I've said this before on, on the show that um, these found footage films, I, I think there's actually a lot more that goes into the production of them than we think. Um, because it, it all, for the most part, a lot of it is scripted. A lot of things are choreographed. Things have to happen mm-hmm. at certain times, and you got to make sure you have the camera here at this point in time, and and the lighting is very convenient, and 
the audio, you know, so I don't know. I think people don't give it as much credit as they should um, as far as how much work is actually put into it and how much thought it, it's not just random camera, you know, stuff being shot and edited together because there is some method behind that. The better ones are obviously um, have a lot of pre-production like Cloverfield is probably one of the biggest budget ones that comes to mind. Yeah. But even things that um, there's been a tendency lately to pass off found footage films is real. Um, I guess that started with the Blair Witch but, um, oh, yeah. and then actually that started in the eighties with Henry portrait of a serial killer. You've seen right. that one. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen that one. And, uh, there was, uh, the last broadcast. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I um, haven't seen that one. That was uh, another forerunner, uh, to Blair, Witch. that, uh, again, nobody, hardly anyone's heard of, but, uh, mm. and it was actually really interesting to see. Um, but, uh, yeah, Blair, Witch. I was one of those suckers, man. I, I totally, <laughs> I, I was drawn into the hype. And I'm like, oh my god, they actually found these tapes, and because I had never heard of this kind of thing before, um, right. so I was one of the guys, and I, I went to the theater and I, I saw it, and everything, and I, I you know, it, uh, I really like that movie. Have you? Have I actually, you... I actually do enjoy the Blair Witch mm-hmm. Project. Um, I saw it again recently. I think I like it more now than when it first came out. I remember seeing it in the theater for the first time and laughing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting because a lot of people say that they saw it in the theater originally and it really scared them. But now when they watch it, it just doesn't hold up. Um, and so that's interesting that you kind of enjoyed yeah. it more this time around. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just appreciate it more now, but I remember the first time I saw it, it came out when I was pretty young. Um, I just remember thinking it was more of a comedy. I mean, there's a lot of really comedic <laughs> parts to it, especially towards the beginning. It was sort of like, you know, a Christopher, Geist film almost like it was just going around interviewing people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that was, that was actually one of those films. And again, I said, you know, how produced and scripted and everything that these found footage films actually are. But um, right. I know a lot of people uh, know about this already, but they, this was actually a lot of kind of impromptu ad libbing that was done by the actors because I guess the filmmakers actually put the actors into this situation in the woods and uh, kind of got their reactions where the the actors didn't really know what to expect. Um, so they were getting sort of natural reactions from those right. people. So, you know, that's, I guess, an exception. But uh, so it's really interesting. And uh, like I said, they got me on it, man. That's why they got my money, because uh, <laughs> I, I totally believed it. And so I went to see it. And, uh, so, but uh, yeah, do you think it's been played out, though? Or are there too many found footage films out there and it's just kind of um, a worn out thing i don't think it's played out yet i think again there's a big range in quality in found footage films and a lot of times people use it um as sort of a gimmick more than a storytelling technique yeah um like what was the one that came out this year about exorcism the, oh, the last, devil inside the, the, the devil inside exorcism i think the devil inside. Oh, the devil. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Because that was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. I, I don't know that I'll be too quick to pick that one up now. <laughs> right. Whereas, like last year, um, have you heard of the film Catfish? The I've heard of it. Found I footage where supposedly somebody meets somebody on Facebook and then goes out to meet them, and they're not what they expect. And um, I won't ruin what actually happens it was promoted more as a horror film but it's really not a horror film 
um, when you find out what's really going on. But that one was interesting. But again, it, it, you're watching it and you know it's not real, but it feels really real. It feels like reality TV for most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think, the draw, uh, the appeal of these found footage films is you know you're watching a movie, um, but they put you in the action. I mean, you're seeing it. It's like a POV kind of thing. I mean, you are that character. You are the guy behind the camera. Uh, you're, right. you're in this situation. And... I guess I guess some of the things that I don't like about like that genre that's emerging is always the person behind the camera has really irritating narration most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> like they're just half the time I just want them to just be quiet and just to film and like I think that would improve the quality of most of the films. Yeah, and a lot of the time, I mean, I think one of the biggest complaints about those films is you're like why would any person in their right mind be using a video camera right now in this situation, you know? I mean, why are they recording? Any normal person in real life, mm. the last thing they'd be thinking of right now is picking up a video camera and, and, and shooting what's going on right here. So, right. you know, there's a lot of, of justification and explaining that you got to do on the filmmaker's <clears throat> part to make you believe... Well, it's like in horror films when they have somebody like break or lose their cell phone very obviously because they can't have a cell phone in the next scene. Right. Like there's always this really sort of awkward moment where they're like, oh, somebody gave me a video camera for my birthday just before like, you know, the alien spaceship landed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I know. So, yeah, I, I, I enjoy them though. I'm a big fan found footage and uh did you see did you see chronicle that was one of the better ones no but you're you're like the hundredth person it's uh said i gotta see it so yeah that one was actually really good i liked that one yeah yeah so that's that's on my list but there's there's a lot of movies on my list you know there's <laughs> there's a lot out there to see and uh right especially with netflix you know i don't i don't know if you're on netflix but man it's uh there's so much out there um I just reviewed a found footage film, actually, uh, with a guy on the show, and uh, it's called Atrocious. Um, this is a Spanish found footage film, so um, obviously, you know, it's subtitled, mm -hmm. which is a weird thing with found footage films uh, when you get into subtitles because it's so visually oriented. You have to be keeping your eyes glued on what's happening action-wise, but uh, then, then again, you have to read what they're saying mm -hmm. at the same time. So, it, you know, it, it kind of puts you in an awkward situation. Um, right. But, was the uh, one quarantine came out a few years ago. That was subtitled. There's the one that the American wreck was based on. See, wreck is, is, uh, actually you have them switched. Actually wreck oh, was the yeah. Spanish one and, uh, quarantine no, right, was the American, right. um, remake. And, uh, I liked wreck much, much better, right. uh, than quarantine and, uh, wreck two is out and they're in, uh, I've, just, I've seen trailers now for Rec 3, which uh, is going to be like a wedding situation. That should be interesting. Which is great. I've, I've always, like, you know, I'm, a, like I said, a, a big zombie fan. And so throughout the years and the decades and everything that I've been into these zombie films, I've just come up with these scenarios where I'm just like, I would love to see zombies in this situation and in this situation. And one that I have always wanted to see is zombies at a wedding. You know, this beautiful thing going on, <laughs> a, a wedding. The and big contrast there, right? <laughs> exactly, because you have the bride all in white, very pure, and 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 everyone's all dressed up. It's very happy, very joyful. Everyone's <laughs> in a great mood, and then all of a sudden, just people get ripped apart. You know, right. people start dying. 
you know that's how that's how it goes yeah yeah and it looks like that uh, rec 3 is gonna do that uh which i'm really excited about and uh um there was another one actually believe it or not there was a zombie film out of turkey that uh and i can't remember the title i wish i i wish i could but i reviewed it uh, a couple years ago and uh it was that wedding situation. A bunch of friends were going to their, their buddy's wedding and everything, and then the zombie thing happens. But it just kind of sucked because it was just like kind of run from one place to another to get away from the zombies, and you didn't really care about anyone. So it was, it was kind of a bummer. It, it didn't really work. Um, but uh, mm. now that Rec 3 is out, I mean, it's the same director. <laughs> it's... Um, uh, what other pl- what other places would be good for a zombie attack? Like a daycare center? I haven't seen that yet. Oh my god, <laughs> dude! You'd get into kids and 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 toddlers and stuff like that. Have you seen Have you seen The Brood? I have not. It's a Cronenberg film from the eighties. There's oh, evil children in me. that. I love Cronenberg, and I haven't seen yeah. that. No, there's there's a scene in there where children are murdering, and it's in um a daycare center, like a kindergarten class. Oh man. Good. There is probably, nothing. There is nothing like kids in horror. I mean, I agree. Oh, wow, wow. Even uh, you know, you go back, and there's even a scene in the original Dawn of the Dead. You know, where where mm-hmm. Peter Ken Foray is is you know using an assault rifle on on the little kids. You know, in the, in the shack, and uh, that's really really crazy. And and uh, that's something I don't I don't know what it is, but you see kids in. Um, in these violent situations, especially if they're the victims, and mm-hmm. uh, man, that just <laughs> that, that takes well, it to know, a whole new level. I know some of the zombie fairy tales that I've enjoyed writing the most are the ones that are like children centered, like Hansel and Gretel and Pinocchio. Yeah, and I've got Little Matchstick Girl coming up. <laughs> I can't I'm excited wait. for that one. I'm Jeez. excited too, man. I just <laughs> seriously, I mean. You really kicked it off well with with Zombie Cinderella, and uh, yeah, I I, uh, I just actually I I bought uh, I bought Hansel and Gretel are dead, uh, and it's on my Kindle right now. So I just gotta just gotta get to it and pick it up. And man, yeah, it's a, it, it's great work that you're doing. And uh, man, man, this is uh, I I can't wait to see kind of where you go. And uh, it's it's really exciting so thanks for putting this out and uh it's it's a, it's a lot of fun so um but um you know i asked you to pick out a film tonight let's let's talk about a movie you know something yeah, that we could kind of discuss review whatever and uh you gave me you gave me a few choices which was really nice of you and uh the <laughs> one though i couldn't pass up because it's one that people have again they're like have you seen this have you seen this you got to see this so uh you suggested the woman 2011. Um, Lucky McKee's The Woman. Yes, Lucky McKee. Uh, interesting. He he actually he directed May. Have you seen May? Yes, that is one of my favorite horror films of the 2000s too. Yeah, it's it's surprisingly good. I I uh, I didn't know what to expect going into it, but I enjoyed that. And actually, I had no idea. I didn't make the connection that uh, mm-hmm. you know he also did this. So uh, yeah, yeah, good call on this. Um, so <laughs> did, you, did you enjoy it then? Or? I did. I did. Um, especially now, now I watched the film and I really, really liked it. Um, and I knew that Jack Ketchum had co-wrote it. Um, right. but I was just kind of looking up stuff about it after the fact, um, you know, just to kind of fill in, fill in the gaps mm-hmm. and stuff and just preparing for, for the show here. And, um, interestingly enough, this is a sequel. Uh, right. It's actually the third part of a trilogy. Oh really? 
Well, yeah. I, I just I, I've seen Offspring. Um, right. Well, which... not not all of the trilogy was. His, um, Jack Ketchum. He's a horror author, and he wrote a series of books. He's been writing for decades now, mm-hmm. and this is the third one in the series about these wild people that live in the woods in the Northeast. And um, the first two were sort of about that, and this is just sort of one leftover person um, that was wild. Yeah, and once. I made that connection and and realized that then the woman's background herself kind of made more sense to me and mm-hmm. why she was there and, and and things. So so yeah, what we have oh, this movie is just I, I had no <laughs> idea. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about it as far as exactly what the plot was and and what was involved here. Um, but it 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 went in directions that I I was just really surprised <laughs> and it, it was a lot of fun. Once you get about 20 minutes in, I don't think you can look away from the screen. Oh, and like as it goes along, it gets more and more bizarre. And the uh, ending just kicks you in the face. I mean, oh my God, that... that... Yeah, that oh, wow. definitely stuck with me. That's one of the creepiest scenes that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about kids, you know, in, in horrific situations. And this little girl, um, <laughs> she plays a big part in this and she's just creepy. I mean, she's, yeah. there's nothing evil about her. I mean, she's not threatening, but mm-hmm. she's just, just the way she reacts around the woman when the woman's all, t- you know, tied up in the, in the cellar yeah. and, and mm-hmm. then uh, at the end, and again, I try not to spoil things on the show. So it's like, uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of tread you can't, you can't lightly talk here. About it, but... Yeah. You can give um, the general premise, though. Yeah, what happens is there's there's this uh, savage woman living in the woods, and uh, uh, there's a family living nearby, and the father happens to be out, and he's on he's hunting the one day, and he sees this woman bathing in the creek, and uh, he's automatically like instantly uh, drawn to her because uh, you know she's bathing, he sees her naked. And so he's kind of like, hmm, hmm, okay. So he kind of goes back to his family, and and then uh, the next time he's out, he actually captures her and uh, ties her up in the cellar and tells his family about it. And this whole thing is a very weird tale of this family and the strange dynamic that's <laughs> going on here. This actually had much less to do with the woman than I expected. Yeah. I mean, this is this is totally about this crazy, crazy dysfunctional family. Give your listeners an idea. Like he captures the woman and introduces her to the family within the first twenty minutes of the movie. Like it's very quick, and then the rest of the movie is just sort of watching this family continue with their lives as they've got this woman trapped in this like barn out back, like this wild woman that they're like torturing and like keeping as this like captive. It's very bizarre. It's hilarious in that he sees her as as just kind of a a project, you know, just kind of like, you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna go out back and we're gonna split go some... refinish the floors, yeah, or something. And he assigns chores to the to the kids and everything about, you know, we got to take care of her. She needs to be pet. She needs to be fed. She, you know, different things. Mm. And you know, the kids are just like whatever. So th- this family on the outside, you know, on, on a superficial level is a fairly normal family. The dad's a bit of a redneck kind of guy and, and the mom is very kind of withdrawn and the kids, you know, the teenage kids are just kind of doing their own thing and kind of, kind of distant man. As the movie (laughs) goes on and you're finding out more and more and more about this, 
this family that is seemingly normal is covering up a ton of like these dark secrets. I mean, things that are just crazy. And you just know things aren't going to end up well here. <laughs> and things are spiraling out of control more and more. Um, and uh, I mean, wow, this man, we start, I mean, the first really violent thing that we see is uh, she's tied up in the cellar and the dad, I think his name's Chris, uh, he, he gets a little too close to her and she actually bites off the end of his ring finger and uh, swallows, swallows it. Swallows it, yeah. And I love that scene, the way that they portrayed that of her chewing the finger. I mean, it's very slow. It's actually a fairly drawn out sequence where she's chewing and chewing. And then you <laughs> well, see her doing swallow. it as this sort of like dramatic defiance against, you know, this person that just captured her. It's her like little, because she's very wild. She's, she's this wild woman that's lived in the woods. She's all dirty and everything. And um, it's just sort of like her animalistic, you know. That's that's the, the funny thing about her. Is she's very savage. I mean, acting on... They keep talking about her base instincts and, and things, but uh, there's just a look about her that there's something more there. I mean, there's some mm. sort of... The things she does are very deliberate, and there is thought behind there. I mean, you look into her eyes, and this actress, I can't think of her name right now, but... Uh, the, Pollyanna McIntosh? Yeah, yeah. She just really puts something deeper in her eye, uh, into her expressions... In that uh, the finger chewing scene is, is uh, I think, perfect for this, and that uh, it was very deliberate. And it's, she was saying so much in her expression in her eyes at that point. And there, are, there's a lot of that going on during the whole movie. I mean, she's uh, a lot of times she's even speaking um, in kind of her own weird language. And, right. Um, it's like you almost understand what she's saying, like almost, not quite, <laughs> not quite. But you almost get it, and uh, it was a brilliant. I mean, performances, even all around the board, I think were spot on. There, there wasn't one weak actor, I don't think, in this whole thing. What would you think of how everyone was portrayed? I think they all did a good job with it. I think a lot of the roles were very tricky and um, had a lot of subtext to them that they couldn't really reveal towards the end. And this is especially one when you find out everything at the end. There are all these little bits and moments from earlier in the film that suddenly click and make sense and are like much more creepy because of that. And you realize all these things that have been going on all along that you as a viewer haven't been aware of. Yeah. So I think they did a good job in like hiding some of the secrets. Yeah. And there are a lot of things that you just kind of had to figure out. You had to fill in a lot of gaps yourself. Mm -hmm. um, right. A lot of weird things. I mean... Uh, as far as uh, the daughter, the teenage daughter, who is very distant and just very disturbed for the whole film. I mean, every scene she's in, it's just like really uncomfortable. Right. And it's she's very awkward. Yeah, very. And she's all I mean, she she's uh, sick. She never wants to do anything. She always has this expression of just fear, like utter terror on her face. And you want to know more. And there are things implied uh, mm -hmm. In this film, especially having to do with her father and mm -hmm. and uh, the situation that she's in, and then you have that whole dynamic with the teacher and right. that whole weird thing, and they don't try to explain this all away. They don't try to give you extra dialogue and explanation for things, um, because I think it is very, very um, 
they have a lot of respect for the viewer um, that uh, they realize that we have brains and that uh, we're going to be filling in a lot of these details. I mean, did you do you see that yourself where, sure, you had some questions at the end of the movie? Well, I um, think the questions are part of what make it so like um, terrifying like a lot of times is um, it really stuck with me afterwards and it was because there were all these unanswered questions especially um, again with the ending that we're not talking about but um, there's these weird events where you're like wait that was going on what does that what does that mean though like how long has that been going on what kind of people would do that and you wonder how these situations started it goes in places like I said that uh, I I really didn't expect at all (laughs) and um Man, it's again, it's really hard to talk about this without spoiling a lot of it. But, um, you know, a lot of the subtext I think that we're seeing here is that uh, this woman who is supposedly so savage and so Mm -hmm. uncivilized, she is actually not the savage here. It's actually it's the father. It's uh, how he's been bringing up his family. It's it's very it's, it's really just the men in the film. Yeah. Yeah, no kid. This is a very feminist, and yeah, that was, that I, I, I don't want to say surprising. that in a negative light, but a, a very feminist uh, movie. No, it is. It's very much a rejection of like nuclear family structures and women's roles as like the mother and the daughter, like especially mothers. There's yeah. a weird sort of fascination with mothers in this. Yeah, yeah, there is, and and I'm thinking, you know. Again, in a scene at the very beginning of the film, even before they, I think, show the title card and, and everything, mm-hmm. uh, you see the woman kind of going through the woods and and uh, things with wolves and everything. And there's a little baby in her den. Right. That, uh, and then we don't see it again for the whole rest of the film. And that's not a spoiler. I mean, you see it in the first five minutes of the movie. So, you know, that's that's what it is. And these wolves and everything. But then that's never addressed. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like especially given the ending of this film. Um, do you think there's going to be another film after this? Now, you said this is the third in Ketchum's uh, trilogy. Right, his right. trilogy. Um, I don't think they're planning any sequels to this. I mean, it's always possible that it'll do another one. But I know that Lucky McKee, the director of this, and Jack Ketchum wrote the, a novel based on this as well. Hmm. So I know that they collaborated for that. But... And they also collaborated um, on an earlier film called Red, which is a revenge story about this older guy whose dog is shot by these sort of like careless rich teenagers. And um, they shoot his dog for no reason while he's out fishing. And then he goes after them trying to um, right the justice. And Lucky McKee directed that one too. Interesting. So I don't think it's unlikely that they would team up again in the future. Yeah. But I don't they haven't announced any plans of anything to do with the woman though yeah i mean this seems to be a a pretty good success uh, especially Mm -hmm. in the horror community i mean i've i've heard really great things about it and uh, people seem to enjoy it so Mm -hmm. i think if it does well enough they'd kind of be stupid not to right well i think also like may sort of start off with a lot of word of mouth over time and now that's sort of like a cult classic Mm. whereas when that came out like it didn't really have a big you know, push to it at all. I think right. almost everyone saw that on DVD. Yeah, it was a very quiet, uh, I, I think, uh, issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it just kind of, people saw it and hey, it's really cool. And yeah, it just uh, kind of spreads that way. And that's how it's been. Again, that's how it was with me. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. I didn't read about this. I didn't see much press about it. 
And then uh, people were just telling me, hey, have you seen this? You know, hey, they give it a shot. And then when you brought it up, I'm like, well, dude, that gives me a whole reason to, <laughs> to pop this in now, finally. And uh, so, but no, this, this is really great. Now, um, I'm thinking back, of course, when I watch movies, like everything just reminds me of other movies because I, I just watch so much. And right. uh, there are two that uh, were brought to mind. And I don't know if you've seen either of these, but uh, the first one that I thought of was Dead Girl. Um, mm, that's the one about the boys that find the zombie girl in the basement and sort of obsess about her. And, yeah, have you seen that? Yeah. Um, I've seen three quarters of that. <laughs> ooh, ooh, you should watch the whole thing. It's it's yeah, it's very brilliant actually, um, mm. and uh, very disturbing, very sick and twisted. And I, I shouldn't even be watching it, but it's it's actually very <laughs> good. Um, and so I thought of that, you know, in terms of themes, you know, kind of holding this this uh girl captive and uh you know doing what you want with her and she's just she's actually very very dangerous but uh the people that hold her captive kind of think they have some kind of control they take a, a lot of pleasure in in uh the situation so that's uh that's why i was just thinking back to that constantly and then um i don't know if you've seen a lot of the masters of horror um movies that uh, that came out but there was one called Jennifer that uh, I really recommend you should see. Um, I've heard of that one. I've yeah. Seen that. But uh, it's kind of the whole thing where a guy um, goes out. And this is actually, you know, it's it's a very loose kind of association. But again, it's kind of the same kind of themes. But a guy brings a girl into his home that uh, she's actually very, very murderous, very, I mean, very savage. But uh, at the same time, he's very sexually attracted to her. And mm. so he brings her home, and he almost thinks that he can kind of break her. He can almost kind of, you know, civilize her. And, uh, of, of course, things don't end up good at all. And that <laughs> at all. So, so those are just two films. And I, th- I, I, I think you should, uh, first of all, finish Dead Girl. Because it, uh, it has a great ending. A great <laughs> ending. Um, and uh, Jennifer, yeah, definitely seek that out. It's, it's one of the rare good masters of horror <laughs> uh, films out there because I've seen a lot of them and a lot of them suck, but yeah, you know that that one's worth it, I think. So, um, but yeah, did you check that out then? Did, uh, were there any films that kind of popped into your mind? Have you seen anything? Um, that, uh, it reminded me of like the style of the woman is sort of like, especially in the suburban scenes, like it seems almost satirical most of the time. So, it reminded me almost of like, have you seen any of Todd Salon's films? Uh, he did he did happiness um welcome to the dollhouse he does really really dark comedies that are about um suburban families with really like dark demented issues they're not horror films they're they're comedies and satires but um they might as well be horror films (laughs) without violence though so it reminded me of that um and a little bit of david lynch at times it was very bizarre Mm, yeah but but without um, is more accessible than David Lynch. Yeah, yeah. This was very linear. I mean, it was very, you could follow it. It made right. sense every step of the way. Uh, even though you did have questions, like I said, mm-hmm. but uh, th- those questions did not inhibit you following the story and understanding what's going on. Um, it, because there was no surrealism about this. No, but it had a very bizarre feel. And some scenes were like, borderline surreal when it's just somebody chained up in one room and somebody coming in the next, you know, just knocking at the door. And mm. That sort of had a, 
feeling to that. Yeah. You know, it was surreal to me though. Um, you know, borderline surreal is just the character of, of Chris, the father, um, mm. just the whole time, even from the very first scene that you see him in at that barbecue and he's just kind of hanging mm. out and he's talking about selling, selling the, the real estate or whatever. It, um, you just know this, this guy's a little off. He, he's a little weird. There's something about him and you can't quite figure it out. Um, <laughs> and the way that he progresses throughout the film and all of these things that happen are just kind of normal to him. And he plays a lot of different roles. You know, he goes, he, he's a lawyer. He goes to work and, and he's very personable, you know, a, a seemingly a great guy to work with. And, uh, and then he gets home and he does all these horrible, horrible things to both the woman and his family. And this is just kind of a normal thing to him. And he has kind of this weird kind of air about him that, uh, all this, all this terrible stuff, he can lead a lot. He can play a lot of different roles, I guess, right. and lead a lot of different lives and do a lot of crazy stuff. And it's all just kind of okay to him. It just kind of makes sense to him. And this actor, I mean, I don't know who this guy is. Um, I've never heard of him before, but man, he, he knocked it out of the park. And I think he, he's, uh, you know, apart from the woman herself and how great mm -hmm. a, a role that was, I think the father, he, he really, this was a home run for him. Okay. Um, the actor's name is um, Sean Bridgers. And um, I, haven't, I haven't seen the movie in a while, so I don't remember him in it. But I was looking on IMDb, and he was actually in the film Nell back in the 90s. Do you, I don't know if you remember that film. But um, it was Jodie Foster as this woman in the woods raised by wolves who's civilized um, oh, by Liam wow. Neeson. Okay, yeah. So now he's been he's been in two movies. You know, one a very like family friendly sort of movie about a woman in the woods, and now this, which is a much darker version. That's a big jump. Wow. I That's... don't think he actually had a big role in Nell though, because oh, I don't yeah. remember I don't remember him in that. Uh, wow. Why doesn't he get more <laughs> stuff? I mean, this, <laughs> he did. A fantastic job. I mean, wow. Wow. This is a, this is really great. Um, so I definitely recommend this. I mean, dude, I mean, you <laughs> recommended it to me. Of course, you, you enjoyed it when we were kind of emailing back and forth. You're like, dude, I think you're going to like this. So um, have fun. So obviously, you feel very comfortable recommending this to, to pretty much anybody. Do you think um, uh, they see definitely it? to any sort of horror fans, um, this is a very bizarre film. Like there are those the movies where um, if you know somebody likes horror, you can like gladly recommend something. And then if they don't like horror, it's probably too much for them. Um, like Lars von Trier, like Antichrist, that sort of film is just very bizarre. Um, where oh, wow. you just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one. Actually, that one it doesn't even compare to this. I don't think that's. Uh, that's <laughs> well, that's another, another one where way. I wouldn't recommend it to just anyone. Like you have right. to know sort of what you're getting into. Um, it's a very bizarre, dark horror film. Yeah. But it's very good. It is. It is. And uh, I think I would uh, recommend it as well. Um, it's not predictable by any means. Um, no. And, and the one <laughs> thing, I mean, that's one of my pet peeves about horror films is that, you know, within the first 15, 20 minutes, half an hour or whatever, I pretty much already know how we're going to end up. And uh, 
This film, again, uh, after the beginning, I kind of had it played out in my head how this was going to be, what kind of movie this is going to be. Okay, it's going to be all about this woman and all these crazy things she does. But it wasn't. I mean, this, again, I keep saying that. I've said this like 10 <laughs> times now, man. This, this just went places I had no idea it was going to go. And that is a huge plus for me. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's available on Netflix um, right now on uh, Instant Watch. So uh, you can pull it up. But uh, it's also available, you know, on Amazon and all those good places, too. Um, so do you think uh, somebody should uh, buy this as opposed to just like red box it or, or go and rent it? Do you think this would be a great part of uh, somebody's horror collection on their shelf? I think it would be. Yeah. Same here. Um, yeah. I mean, this is one where if you like horror, I'm pretty sure anyone that likes horror would like this one. Yeah. Yeah, as opposed to Offspring. Now, you know, we mentioned Offspring, and I, right. uh, I, I didn't like that as much. I mean, I kind of did, but I didn't. There were there were things about it that just really turned me off, and I just, I, I think I liked the overall premise of it, and I, I, I liked what they did, but, and eh, then again, I was just underwhelmed by by a right. lot of it. Um, but seeing <laughs> Offspring and then seeing the woman, I think, was very beneficial. So mm. it's almost like, you know, go see The Offspring and then watch this film um, because you'll understand where she came from and why she's in the woods and why she's the way she is and things like that. So I don't know. You saw The Offspring, right? I have not, no. Oh, oh. Well, <laughs> um, Which is part of, like, I didn't, I researched the film afterwards more because this is one of those films where after you watch it, you're left with so many questions that you immediately, like, want to go online and read everything about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's mm -hmm. nothing that blew me away. I watched it because of course, Jack Ketchum, you know, that's, right. a, that's a big thing. Um, and the gist of it is that there's this whole like group tribe of cannibalistic people that are, are just living in the woods. And, um, so that's what we see in the offspring and kind of how they, you know, do their thing and wreak havoc on civilized people, quote, civilized people. And so again, you, you know, you're left wondering who's civilized, who isn't civilized, and the roles are reversed and, and all that good stuff. And again, good things, bad things about the film and whatever, but um, it's worth a watch, I think, if you want to really, really appreciate the woman. So that's, and I keep calling it The Offspring, but it's not The Offspring, <laughs> like it's the band or something. No, it's right. it's, it's uh, just Offspring. I'm sorry, I just keep uh, keep saying that, just... Uh, this is really fun, and uh, Kevin, man, this is great talking with you tonight. You know, especially that uh, you're such a talented guy writing the zombie fairy tales, and then uh, also these films. I mean, not only the woman, but you've talked about so many other films now that I'm really interested in things I've never <laughs> heard of before, and I'm like, I got to go check these out. So, you know, thank you for uh, your, your love of film, and of course, how much you know about uh, different genres and. And uh, things that uh, not everybody is going to necessarily know about, but should go uh, pick up. So uh, thanks for talking with me, man. This is a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun for me too, Corey. Awesome, awesome. Well, I can't wait to uh, to read the next uh, Zombie Fairy Tales. Now, you just released one. We're going to be talking about this, uh, of course, in uh, kind of mid to late June here. Mm -hmm. um, so you're in your sixth installment of That's zombie correct. fairy tales and so what's what's the the latest one you just put out 
you're going to like this because it's actually a sequel to Cinderella. It's Zombie Cinderella 2, The Ball. So you're going to – the first Cinderella, Zombie Cinderella, deals with um, Cinderella um, getting worked to death by her evil stepmother and her stepsisters. And she comes back as a zombie and wreaks her revenge. And um, in the second one, she goes on to the ball where she meets, you know, Prince Charming who is – a murderer in mine, um, and he's having the ball to find a new wife to murder. Um, he's sort of based off of the fairy tale um, Bluebeard, who collected wives and beheaded them. Um, so she'll go and she'll meet him there. Oh and my god! It's going to be pretty violent, and it's not a wedding, but it is a very formal ceremony with zombies. So. Oh my god! I can't wait for. Th- I'm. I'm thinking I might <laughs> just like skip everything else. For the time being, at least, because right. I well, will read all, everything. This else. is the only one that you can't really read out of order. All the other ones are self-contained. They include mm-hmm. references to the other ones, but you can read them in any order. Um, this is the only one where you really should read part one first. Wow! Oh, uh, because the, the whole time I'm reading Zombie Cinderella, and you you talk about the ball, and yeah. I'm like just envisioning what's going to happen at the end, um, going to the ball, and mm-hmm. we don't get quite there. And again, it's not that we don't have a very satisfying ending to that story, because there is, and it's great. Um, But again, at the beginning of the story, I'm like, oh, we're going to end up at the ball, which we don't. Um, And this is actually, this is a very brilliant thing to do, because to a guy like me that has read that first one, and you're just (laughs) like, given the ending... Again, I'm, I'm not going to spoil it because I think people should go out and buy it and read it and, and, and enjoy it. But given the ending of Zombie Cinderella, I can't wait for the ball, man. And this is, <laughs> oh, wow, wow. So, very violent. <laughs> I can't wait. So, Kevin, man, this is a, a, a lot of fun. And, of course, uh, Zombie Fairy Tales, like I've said, is available on Amazon. It's it's just a Kindle thing right now, right? It's, it's like available on, yeah, Amazon Kindle. You don't need a Kindle to read it. You can read it on their cloud reader. Um, they're also available on barnesandnoble.com if you've got a Nook reader. Brilliant. So, and it's actually, it's very, very uh, um, economical. You know, Zombie uh, Cinderella was uh, like 99 cents. And then the other right. ones, I think, are like two ninety nine after that. That's which, correct. Which is nothing. So you can, you can try Zombie Cinderella, see if you like it. And if you like it, just continue with the series. You're like a you're like a crack dealer here. It's like, <laughs> it's like you, you know, you, you give me a little hit, you know, just to see if I'm going to you know, going to like it. And then when I like it, man, it's like, okay, I've got you get a lot me more. I've got oh, a lot more. That's so. right. That's right. And it is very well worth it. And, and, uh, yeah, you're not going to turn into a crackhead after reading your, <laughs> your stuff. <laughs> no. Actually, you'll, you'll be very, very satisfied. So Kevin, dude, again, let's do this again, man. Um, I hope, I uh, lots more zombie fairy tales throughout the year. So oh, I can't wait. And especially these, uh, these double ones that are coming up towards the end of the year. Dude, we got to get together again and, and talk about these things because I am going to be reading them. And I hope, uh, again, a lot of people are going to be reading them as well. And uh, so hopefully we have a, a little bit more to uh, to talk about again. And uh, maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll throw a couple movies your way and uh, I can see what you think about uh, some of the stuff I might uh, might say. Hey, let's let's try this or that or something. Or maybe we could talk about the Offspring if you want to see it or <laughs> you know something like that. Um, Definitely. Yeah. But uh, thank you again for your time. And all these links are going to be up on the show notes um, on uh, the website, of course. And uh, 
Man, Kevin, have a great night, man, and uh, <laughs> thank you again. All right, thanks, Corey. It's been a pleasure. If those gates are left open, it may be the end of humanity. We've got to try to get them shut again. At midnight on Monday, we go into All Saints Day. The night of the dead begins then. And if the portals of hell don't get shut before, no dead body will ever be able to rest in peace again. And so the dead will rise up and take over the earth, and you must, you've got to get to Dunwich. You must reclose those gates. Well, just very recently, I was excited to learn about something that's awesome happening literally right down the road from where I grew up. I found out about the drive-in Super Monsterama held in this small town of Vandergrift, Pennsylvania. Uh, and I'm really happy right now to be talking with the organizer of this, George Rice. George, thanks for talking with me tonight. Hi, Corey. Good to be talking to you, too. This is really exciting. Like I said, I grew up down the road from this, uh, and unfortunately, I moved out of the area um, years ago, so when this started up, I, I wasn't even in town anymore. But uh, this is the sixth annual, and uh, this is really, really cool. So first of all, can you tell people what this is, um, what's going on at this drive-in? Okay, well, um, drive-in Super Monsterama is basically um, a two-day event that happens every um, second weekend in September at the um, Riverside Drive-In in Vandegrift. And basically it's um, classic horror and science fiction films, mostly from the 60s and 70s. We show four films each night. And um, it's just a chance for people just who, have, who didn't grow up in that era to see these kind of films at a drive-in or people that were old enough to be able to see some of these films and drive-in to relive those memories. Yeah, and it's just a great fun time, and it's something my heart has been into since I did it, and I love doing it, and I'm glad that we've been able to do it for, like you said, this is uh, sixth year. This is really exciting. I'm looking at the lineup now. This is uh, Friday, September seventh, and Saturday, September eighth, and right. uh, I love this lineup. Um, I'm just going to run through them right now, um, and of course, I'm going to put up the links to the, the websites and, and places where you can find out more about this um, when yeah. the show goes up. Um, but on Friday, you're showing Theater of Blood, Horror House, Equinox, and Son of Blob. And then Saturday, you're going to show Twins of Evil, Countess Dracula, Raw Meat, and Psychomania. And, uh, right. and that's not all, because um, I'm reading about this, and you're actually going to be playing a lot of, a lot of uh, vintage trailers, some shorts, and, and little really cool kind of uh, intermission things. So it's, yeah. it's a really cool production. That's correct. The, the, the owner of the, uh, the Riverside has a, a large collection of, of the concession stand um, intermission-type films on 35mm, and they're, they're shown throughout the night, along with, like you said, the, um, the trailers, which a, a, a lot of them I've actually accumulated myself. I've been, since I've been doing the show, I've been collecting the 35mm trailers, which are um, easy to find on eBay, but they can get kind of pricey. So, you know, you have a lot of people bidding on them because I guess they're, they're very desirable. But, yeah, we have a – the trailers are, 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 are an awesome part of the show, and you're going to see a lot of uh, trailers for all kinds of different uh, horror and exploitation films from, from that era. Oh, and, um, I, I'm really excited about that, and I think, you know, one of the big points that you make and one of the things that's exciting to me is the fact these are all 35-millimeter prints, all the movies and uh, a lot of uncut uh, films here. So, how do you go about acquiring 
all these great, you know, classic movies, you know, like you said, 70s and, and things. How do you go about getting this? Um, a lot of the films I've been, I've been uh, renting from um, NGM, who um, have a good number of the uh, films released by American Internationals, and they actually have good, decent prints. Some of them are, are newly struck prints on a lot of these titles. Some of the, a lot of the films um, shown this year that we're getting from uh, from MGM are are newer struck prints, so they they should look really excellent. And uh, we're getting Twins of Evil um, and The Count of Dracula, the two Hammer films from from MGM, which is their library has been taken over by a company called Park Circus, who do all kinds of uh, film festivals uh, throughout the country, and those. Uh, two hammer films happen to be coming from England, so um, oh, wow. I'm actually going going through a lot of trouble to get those. Not a lot of trouble, but uh, you know, it's a little going to be a little pricey to get them to ship them and stuff. But uh, I think it'll be worth it because uh, it seems like the the crowd that's coming to these things really, really love the hammer films. I love them. Oh yeah. And um, you know, they're, they're going to be uncut, nice looking prints and everything. Theater of Blood. I ended up getting that because uh, last couple of years we've been showing Vincent Price, uh, one or two Vincent Price movies uh, on the Friday night, and last year on the Saturday night um, we showed the two five films and they went over so well. So a couple of people have been saying, "Why don't you, you know, get Theater of Blood?" So that's why uh, that was the one I went and went for uh, this year as far as the Vincent Price title. Wow. And it always seems to be a crowd pleaser. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these all just look really exciting to me. They look really fun. I've actually seen all of these uh, at one point or another, and uh, I just can't wait to see them up on the on the big screen at the drive-in. I mean, there's nothing like going to the drive-in. Um, I love. I, I'm just going to pull a quote off your website because another really yeah. cool thing about you is you're the editor at uh, um, DVDDriveIn.com. That's right. Yeah, which is a fantastic site. Um, Thank you. And. Uh, but uh, you have a great quote on there. Um, you say, quote, with the industry forcing many theaters to go digital, the end of 35 millimeter screenings at drive-in theaters is surely upon us. So this could very well be one of your last chances to experience such a unique event like this with all the bells and whistles. And that really sums it up, you know, where we are right now and uh, what this event, the value of this event is to people. And yeah. uh, I really appreciate that. So, I mean, what are the chances you're going to be able to see any of these films at the drive-in? Well, that's things? the thing, you know, and, and I, I, like I this is the sixth year and we don't repeat, you know, we're not going to show anything we sh- already showed. So when once you see a title, like, I mean, something like Horror House, which is, I don't know when the last time um, that was ever shown theatrically anywhere. And that was a film that was made in England and... Um, when it was released here by American International, uh, it was distributed to drive-ins and mostly drive-ins, and it became a drive-in film favorite. And it just just that I had the opportunity to bring that that title back to a drive-in theater, I had to you know I, I had to go about getting it. And the, the fact that I knew that the the print was available, that's why I went for that title. And I'm getting back to what you're saying about the opportunity to see these films at a drive-in screen, like. It's probably going to be your only chance to see a lot of these films ever at a drive-in. I mean, it's not going to happen. These shows are, are quite quite rare. Um, yeah. Not too many people are doing them. Um, and it's, like you said, there's nothing like seeing these kind of movies at a drive-in theater because you really feel like you're, you're back in time, you're back in those days. 
drive-ins kind of stay and have the same feel, the concession stand, the look of the the way the, the, the you know the way the the place is laid out, they really feel like something of of the past. It's real nostalgic about it. It's like Americana. Um, I can't emphasize enough how you know I wish people would just you know even if you have to travel. We try to make it so that if you have to travel, you're going to have a really, really fun weekend. You're going to have two really big nights with hours of entertainment. And like you said, like from my quote, all the bells and whistles. Oh, yeah. Know? Yeah, a great yeah. concession stand at this place. That's a, yeah, it's, that's a it's big great. deal. Everybody loves it. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and also you can camp there both nights. So, that's right. you know, if it goes late, man, just, just stay over, you know, get a camping yeah, spot. It's over. really cheap. Yeah. Yeah, the um the the theater owners are just asking uh ten dollars a person and that includes, you know, the use of the facilities and uh I believe they always have some kind of makeshift showers and then they serve breakfast in the morning and stuff, so you know, and that's a great deal and it's just a lot of fun. I mean, you, you know, you just you can camp out, so it's fun to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of people, I think, are going to be asking, you know, this is a weekend, you're going to be out late, and this is this is just a big, fun time. Now, what's the alcohol policy there? Is, it, can can people bring in alcoholic beverages, you know, if you want to bring in, uh, like, a cooler of beer or something like that? Is is that allowed? I believe so, yeah. I've never, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's around, so, and I've, I've had a beer or two during the weekend, so, yeah, I Excellent. don't think there's any... Uh, policies against it or anything like that fantastic fantastic yeah. and that's uh that's all the more reason why you know if you're going to be doing that you know look into the whole camping option um yeah. you know because that's that's really important and, and we were talking before the show you know vandegrift is a very rural area and uh, not a whole lot of places especially if you're traveling you're coming a long way um there's not a whole lot of big places in the area you know no, no hotels or, or anything there are a lot of very just small privately owned establishments that yeah. uh, you may be able to find but uh you know nothing that's uh, you know going to be really really accessible to you so look into that camping option it, it's a great deal and uh that's uh i'm just uh, really happy that you're offering that um, yeah look into the camping options i mean people yeah. don't want to camp there there are hotels within 20 minutes from the yeah, place yeah yeah i mean it's there's a lot of surrounding towns that have big hotels i actually stay at a Holiday and Express. I come a day early and stuff to get ready, and I stay a couple nights at Holiday and Express, which is in Delmont, which is not too far. And there's, no. you know, so yeah, it's 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 accommodating. You know, there's you know, whether you camp, whether you stay at a hotel, with you know, whatever you do, it's everybody's welcomed and everybody's. Uh, we have a fun. We have a. The staff is just really really friendly at the Riverside and. And you meet, meet, make new friends. You know, a lot of I've made a lot of friends out of this, and uh, mm-hmm. I know people have met other, you know, friends because you share the same interests. And oh yeah, it's just a great time. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I like I said, I grew up in that area, and people are so kind and welcoming. You know, you're going to have a lot of locals there, and uh, the, the people in Vandergrift, Apollo, you know, the whole surrounding areas there. Are, are just very very good people, and yeah, uh, a lot of horror fans. I mean, we're we're growing up in the zombie capital of the world. You know, Pittsburgh, of course. You know, being a huge hotbed for zombies because of of Romero's work, and uh, so a lot of horror fans in the area. Yeah. Uh, consequently, and, we uh, did show um, we showed Night of the Living Dead and the Crazies 
Oh, wow. Um, it was the second Monsterama. And we, we, you know, we got a, a good crowd, but I would say that the, the crowds have grown since then, I, mean, I guess because word of mouth and just the, yeah. the, the reputation of the show is growing. But I thought Night of the Living Dead, we were going to like be, the place was going to be just, well, you know, packed with cars. But, you know, like I said, it was a decent turnout, but not, you know, I expected it to be, you know, yeah. more than what it was. But like I said, it's uh, the six years we've been, it's taken, it's taken a few years to really get, get it to the um, attendance level that, that I wanted it to be and the, mm. that the theater owners would want it to be at, so... Yeah, and I mean, I've just been talking with people in my network of, of horror friends here on, on Facebook and Twitter and the podcast that I do, and so many people are like, oh, we wish we didn't live, like people people living in like Canada and California and Texas yeah. and things, and they're like, oh man, I, I wish that I'd lived on the East Coast there, then we could, you know, make a trip up to see this, because this sounds like a fantastic show, yeah. And um, but this is a, actually a really, really cool vacation opportunity for people Well, that's it that's why um you know i know traveling is, is difficult it can be expensive but if you do we make it so that when you come out you're not coming for one film two films you're coming for four films each night with trailers we have a couple of comedy shorts cartoons uh with the concessions i mean it really is a packed night of entertainment it's two nights in a row so when you come out you got the whole weekend you're not you know it's yeah. not spread out within weeks so you have to you come out and you're there and then you have, you know, you could plan a vacation around it. Yeah, it's and an I, experience. I, I, it's not like you're just yeah. sitting and watching movies. It's it's a no, whole it's experience. An, it's an experience. It definitely is an experience. If you want to experience what seeing these films were like at a drive-in and that whole feel, you really, you, I guarantee it's going to, you know, you're going to capture that feeling. And and uh, speaking of traveling, I mean, we've had people, and we still do that, that um, I know... Um, one guy flies out from from Florida, and then he rents a car and he and he attends the whole show. Wow! And years ago, we've had people fly out and you know rent a car. So, man, yeah, that's you know if you can do it, do it. It's worth it, you know. Yeah, yeah, the absolutely, it's worth it, you know. Because it's not like the the price of admission and and staying over is anything oh, that's no, no, inhibitive, no. We, you know. Well, that's the thing too. I, I've I've kept the um the price at ten dollars. A person and and the kids under twelve are free with the adults. Of course, some of the movies are rated R, but you know you could if you can't get a babysitter or whatever. If you have to have your children with you, you can you know put them. Maybe they can take a nap in the back seat or go. You know, we right. just want to make it convenient for people who have kids and and like I said, keeping the admission prices low because everything is so expensive. But you know, and I think yeah. in all fairness, it's it's. When you look at the prices, like what they charge at revival theaters in Manhattan and stuff, I mean they're charging twelve dollars, and you're only seeing one movie. Oh yeah. You know, so. Oh man, you go see, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean 3D. You're paying ten bucks a head. You yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know that's that's nowhere near anything that you're going to see this weekend. So that's uh, that's a really really reasonable reasonable charge and a, a great time for the for the value that you get oh, out yeah, of it. Yeah. So. Um, 
I'm really curious, though. Um, you know, you're a New York guy, and we were talking about this again a little bit uh, before the show. And um, you chose uh, Vandergrift uh, out in basically the middle of nowhere that um, has a, a great drive-in, the, river, the, the Riverside Drive-In. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so what, what's the background as to how this all came into being? Why did you, why did you start this up, and, and why Vandergrift? And I'm just curious. Well, um, a few years ago, this is going back to 2007, um, I really wanted to, um, to do some kind of horror film festival out of drive-in, showing classic horror and science fiction movies. Um, I've always liked, you know, the revival experience, but, you know, I think that seeing older movies in a theater setting, you know, hardtop regular theater setting, isn't the same as seeing it at a drive-in theater. There's, there's a magic to it. And I'd been to, I'd, you know, I, I, I was, of course, too young to, to have seen most of these movies, you know, first run at a drive-in, but I'd seen, uh, I'd seen, I'd seen older horror movies shown at a drive-in in recent years, you know, revival-type things and, and festivals. There's a festival in Atlanta called Drive Invasion that does this sort of thing. So basically, I, I said, you know, I could... Let me see if I could get something going myself. Or let me get in the, see if I can get an event off the ground. It doesn't hurt to ask. So, I, um, being from New York, I contacted a bunch of theaters in the New York, Pennsylvania area, and um, I didn't get a lot of responses. But um, the manager of the Vandergrift, I mean, the manager of the, the Riverside Drive-In in Vandergrift, got back to me right away and seemed very enthusiastic about the idea. Said, "Yeah, we'd be willing to do that." And um, said we could do it in September after our regular season is over. And, um, you know, we went from like, well, can we do three films? Yeah, that's good. Well, how about four films? Yeah, we could do it as long as they're not too long and blah, blah, blah. And then it became, well, how about two nights in a row? And in 2007, we did the first uh, Monsterama. Wow. And um, we've been doing it every year since then. Every set, like I said, every second weekend in September, the weekend after um, Labor Day weekend. Wow. And um, theaters, the theater loves doing it. The enthusiasm, like I said, has been growing every year, and the crowd's been getting larger every year, so it's, kinda, it's, it's evolving nicely. Great, great. As it should be. I mean, people, people can't afford to lose this kind of thing um, as, as part of the culture of film, especially horror film, and there's some yeah. sci-fi and, and, and other things. But, uh, you know, this whole culture experience, like I, like I said in that quote back, uh, you know, a few minutes ago, you know, we seem to be losing that nowadays. And um, so this is this is a great thing that you've started up, and, and uh, I'm not surprised that it is growing. And uh, I think it, it's it's really looking to be very popular and... and uh, be a really big thing so uh i uh i, I can't wait to see you there I, I hope i get to meet you uh when i'm there because oh, i will you, be you there will. yeah you definitely will i always uh you know especially like within the hour uh, the hour before everything starts i'm always walking around talking to people and stuff and everybody's awesome. meeting up and reacquainting themselves or meeting new friends i mean it's just, it's very it's a, the, the camaraderie is, is great there so yeah, yeah, and um, I was actually really interested uh, on the website. You said that uh, Creepy Classics was going to be yeah. there, which is another really, really cool aspect and a whole, a whole another dimension that you're adding to this for horror fans. 
Um, but uh, if people go to creepyclassics.com, you can find out more about that. But uh, they have a lot of DVDs and a lot of really cool stuff that they're going to yeah, be um, offering. Ron Adams, who uh, runs Creepy Classics and does the Monster Bash convention in the Pennsylvania area, has been wonderful about um, helping to, to promote the show. And he, he um, has a little YouTube trailer meetup usually every year. Hopefully he's going to do it again this year. And, um, yeah, he sets up um, his tables and his, his crew comes, and they're in the uh, concession stand area. So, you know, if you come by, definitely you'll, you can't miss them. So. And like yeah. you said, they have a lot of great DVDs for sale and monster magazines and toys and stuff. So, Yeah, a lot of fun. Now, Monster Bash, that's in, uh, is that the one in Butler that they have? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, awesome. Oh, that's a, yeah, that's, that's a great this time. this month, yeah. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Now, I'm curious about you. How did you get into all this? How did you get into, you know, kind of uh, more classic horror films and uh, your love for the drive-in? Did you grow up? kind of in the era of, of classic films at the drive-in? Did you go to a lot of these? I didn't actually see a lot of uh, things at the drive-in. I wasn't like, my family wasn't really, um, uh, I mean, went to a lot of movies, but we, I mean, we had drive-ins in the area, but we weren't, we didn't really frequent the drive-ins, I don't know, for whatever reason. Maybe that's why I'm so in, into the drive-in experience now is because I didn't have it then. Mm-hmm. But as far as the liking of the horror movies, it's just something I grew up, I mean, I grew up in New York, so... I was watching the Chilla Theater programs and uh, Friday Night and all this stuff. So I always, you know, and of course they were always showing, you know, everything from the Universal to the Hammer and all the schlock in between. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. and I loved it since I was as old as I can remember. You know, I mean, I I've always been into this stuff. So yeah, yeah, and I I uh, I really like that you can appreciate the schlocky kind of stuff along with the more serious stuff. Um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, looking at the list of films that you're going to be showing here, um, that's apparent. But, uh, you know, you, you you can't always take it seriously. And there's some that you you have to take. Uh, it's just kind of all in all in good fun. And, you know, you, you don't try to take it, like I said, too seriously. And uh, that that's really, really great. What would you what would you consider as uh, some of your favorites in the horror genre? In the horror genre? um I mean, it's hard to just point, you know, pick out one film. But I mean, yeah. I like, I like, I mean, I love, I love the Hammer films. I love the AIP films, like you know, anything with Vincent Price, the, anything with the big horror stars, Karloff, Cushing, Lugosi, Christopher Lee, you know, any anything like that. Uh, uh, European horror films, Italian horror films, directed by Mario Bava, Dario Argento, you know, Paul Nashi from Spain. Yes, uh, just just the whole the whole gamut. Of the, of the, you know, man, you're you're a man after my own heart here because uh, you know I'm I'm hearing you you know talk about Bava and Argento, Paul Nash, you know that guys yeah, like that. Which, I'm a big shown, fan. Yeah, last year we showed um, Bava's Black Sabbath, and if this show continues for a few more years, I'd hopefully bring more of uh, Bava back. And Nashi's print, Paul Nashi prints are, are very hard to, to come by, but we did we did manage to show um werewolf first the vampire women um a few years ago so great great yeah another one throw the european stuff in once in a while we can when i can you know find it yeah yeah and i I really appreciate that you can uh put in some hammer because like you said that that seems to go over really well yeah um but uh you know the more the more european stuff i've found 
you know, it's it's a a certain special segment of horror fans that really really dig the Bava, the Argento, the you know, even like getting into like Fulci and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so are you are you more hesitant to maybe you know seek out like an Argento film, like you know, for example, like show like Suspiria or something uh, like that? Suspiria is is within the realm of possibility. I think because it's a monster fest, and I, I realize I have. I have a built-in audience if I show, you know, the more, mon- like, monster-themed films. Um, you know, Argento really didn't make have a lot of uh, his, you know, you, you consider Jalos, except The Spear, which is kind of a monster film. So that's um, that's a possibility in the future, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, the European stuff, it's all, like, last, a couple of years ago, I was like, thinking of showing some Fulci zombie movies and I asked a few people, a few of the regulars and they're like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not really into that. And one, <laughs> one guy even said that he thought when zombie came out, it was like what ruins horror films. So I'm like, all right, maybe I should just, wow. <laughs> stick. Well, I don't agree with necessarily, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, maybe I should just stick with what I got here. I, I'm like, you know, I'm, I've got like, uh, the AIP, the hammers, the uh, the Vincent Price kind of things, the early 70s, late 60s. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, if I, if I'm staying on this, this kind of wavelength, then I don't, I don't want to, you know, um, break it. Yeah. I, I I can see where a lot of Argento and especially Fulci would get into maybe a whole dimension of, of gore and violence yeah. that um, is is very graphic and, and maybe doesn't lend itself to the drive-in theme that you're talking exactly. about. And yeah, I'm trying to get that. Few, and I'm actually, you know, I mean, I put a lot of thought into this, depending, well, I mean, it's, it, all, it all amounts to what prints are out there, what's available, what I can get a hold, what I can get, you know. And, yeah. and I do put a lot of thought as far as, like, trying to show films that, you know, were definitely shown. I mean, everything we've shown has was played in the drive-in back in the day. Yeah. So. And some of these films were actually really um, distributed mainly for the driving. So I mean, they're you know they're true to what the whole experience is all about. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think I, we have a pretty good mix this year. So. Yeah, I agree, and I I really love your your vision for this and uh, your take on uh, the drive-in movies and uh, just having a heart to show these and letting people experience things that they've missed. I'm in the same boat as you. I, I didn't grow up going to the drive-in a whole lot. Actually, I, I haven't been to the drive-in uh, very much at all, especially during yeah. my childhood. And I've had to make an effort to actually get there, to actually kind of go out of my way to go to the drive-in anymore because it's so difficult to do. There aren't a whole lot of them around. And, um, so this this is a way that I get to really have a blast for for two full days, and I'm sure meet a lot of really really cool people yeah. and uh, hook up with people that have the same interests as me. And I, I, like I said, I'm excited to see each and every one of these films on the big screen, and uh, especially at the drive-in, it, it's just going to be a great experience. So uh, I can't wait, and I, I thank you for putting this on. Oh. Uh... I think, you know, thanks to fans uh, and supporters like you, I mean, that's, you know, that's what keeps us going. And as long as people keep coming and the theater's happy to do it and we can do it and 35 millimeter stays around for hopefully a couple more years or at least 
if the theater goes digital, then they'll have the 35 millimeter option, which I'm hoping that they do, and I think it's quite possible. Then hopefully we can keep doing this for for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I don't think it's going to die anytime soon. I think you know we see a trend, of course, like like we said, that's going digital, and 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 uh, I think the producers and uh, distributors are really really pushing that and pressuring theaters to do that. But uh, there is nothing like film. And uh, especially these 35 millimeter prints, like you said, I mean, there's yeah. there's just some sort of 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 grit to them, some sort of um, of nostalgia, and I, I don't know, it's 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 so hard to define. I mean, do you have trouble yeah. kind of explaining it in words, like like why these prints look so great as opposed to like putting in a Blu-ray or or, or a DVD yeah. or something? I mean, it's there's a look there that you can't explain. It's, uh, and you know the, the, these film, these these. I don't want people to think too that you know just because or have that that um, that mindset of like Grindhouse, the Quentin Tarantino uh, film, uh, Robert Ray, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Ray right. films, where like all the you know films from from long ago. If you show them now, the the prints are all beat up. To, to I mean, yeah, there are beat up thirty five million prints out there, but I mean, I'm very. I put a lot of you know thought and you know seek out information about the films are showing and i mean the prints are showing and you know these are a lot like i said these are going to look a lot of these are are newer pristine looking prints um i've seen the print of psychomania that we're showing and that's technicolor uh print it's like an excellent beautiful so oh yeah yeah i mean expect to see you know lines and splice i mean these these are going to be you know nice presentations so well yeah i uh, you're not going to see, like you said, like a lot of uh, dust and scratches and, and film flaws and, and burns and things like that. Um, no, not it, a lot. I mean, you might see a few. Uh, well, yeah, not just excessive at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, just that look of film, which uh, you don't see a whole lot nowadays, and um, yeah. the people who do use it nowadays to make modern films, uh, I think they really stand out from. Uh, from the rest, and uh, and that they yeah, take that not, extra step. It's, it's not a, it's, it's something more authentic to it, of course. You know, I mean, in opposed to stuff being shot on digital, I don't think it has that authenticity. Right. But I'm, you know, who am I to say? Well, no, I mean, think about it. You shoot film as opposed to digital video. You shoot film. Uh, you're paying a lot more attention to lighting, exposure. Um, development you know even how you edit in post and how things are done i mean there there's so much more attention paid to these elements whereas if you shoot you know hd video or even on a red or something you know ridiculously high def um you can do a lot a lot of takes and make a lot of mistakes and you're like well we can fix a lot of it in post and it doesn't matter so it's uh it's a whole different mindset but uh i like the attention paid to these elements that you deal with in film mm-hmm. um, and that you get it right when you're shooting it and you don't rely on post. I think when you shoot in digital, you rely on post so much yeah. more and yeah. on, you know, a million takes of things will get, you know, it's, it's cheap to shoot digital. But, it's uh, like shooting a TV show, uh, TV show on, on video. Right. But you can, you don't have to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but on film, man, you better get it right because it is, it's actually really expensive to mm-hmm. go and do another take. Yeah. And uh, so, 
that's uh, I think it's a whole different ball game when you get into film, and I really, really appreciate people that can go and and make a movie on physical film. Um, and it just looks again the end product just there's something about it that looks different. I don't know if it's color saturation, color density, um, you know, as far as grain and things like mm-hmm. that go. It's just uh, it's a different look, and so there's nothing like it. And uh, digital has a long way to go yet before they can, I think, match that kind of feel. So, and even if you're talking about the old days, you know, the old. 70s days when there was a lot of independently made horror films shot on 35 millimeter or on 16 millimeter and blowing up to 35, but it's mm-hmm. still film and it still has that, like you said, that look and you know, as cheap and ridiculous as some of these films were, they were shot on actual film and they they have that going for them. And there is a quality there that you know you're not going to get on that digital format. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, George, yeah. it's 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 really great that. I can find a a person to talk to about, uh, you know, appreciating film and, uh, you know, going back to the classics. Because, uh, you know, as far as horror goes nowadays, it's really hard to find people that uh, appreciate these kind of things. And uh, it was was a lot of fun talking with you tonight. And, uh, again, I can't wait to meet you here in September. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Everyone, you need to go to uh, dvddrivein.com. And, um, of course, I'm going to have a lot of links up on my website where you can go find out more about George and what he does with DVD Drive-In and about the uh, Drive-In Super Monsterama. And I'm going to be there, so if you want to meet me, you want to meet George, I mean, show up. Yeah, we're and, very friendly, and I'll be there the whole weekend. If you're camping during the day, I'll be around during the day. And and if anybody has any questions about the show or anything else they'd like to talk about, just, you know, you can shoot me an email through the website. Beautiful. I'd be more than glad to talk to you. Beautiful. Well, again, thank you for taking time to talk with me tonight, and uh, I hope uh, you know maybe we can uh, do something again. And uh, this is uh, this is really exciting. So thanks again, George. Thank you so much, Corey. Thanks. Hey, go see if there's some beer in there. If those zombies are going to eat us, might as well be drunk. That's it. That wraps up another week here on the Electric Chair. Thank you for listening, and thank you to everybody who has participated. Of course, uh, Johnny T for that great voicemail at the beginning of the show. Uh, if you want to send in voicemail, you can email it directly to me at Corey at midnightcory.com or use the really handy-dandy little form that I have on the contact page where you can upload your MP3 or M4A file um, and uh, just record yourself saying a little hello. Hi, Corey. Do a really bad podcast, so thanks for nothing. You could say something like that, and I'd play it. I'd respond to it saying how much of an idiot you are, of course. (laughs) No. I welcome all feedback, even if you're critical. Um, you know, that's, that's cool too. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, great voicemail. I encourage everybody to send that in. Thank you to Florida Possum for offering Troll Hunter on Blu-ray. And, uh, just let me know that you want to be part of that contest and I will enter you in. Uh, thank you to Lindsay Hollister, a great, great person. As you heard, just a lot of fun. And, uh, man, Absentia is a great film. I think you all should see it. And uh, I hope to speak with her again. 
Kevin Ritchie, a really, really talented author, a guy who knows his horror and uh, knows a lot about film and stuff, as you heard. But I hope you're all reading Zombie Fairy Tales. I'll have the link to that on the website. And, of course, thank you to George Rice, the organizer of the drive-in Super Monsterama that is going to be held here in September in Vandergrift, PA, and uh, at the Riverside Drive-In. I can't wait to go. I'm going to be there both days uh, with beer in hand, and it's going to be great. So I hope to see a lot of you out there as well. Thank you to George. Go to dvddrivein.com. Of course, all of these links are going to be up at electrichairshow.com for this specific episode, episode eight of The Electric Chair. Thank you all again for listening. It's been fantastic. And join me again next week for yet another edition of The Electric Chair. It's gonna be alright. How times escaped me since 1975 And I've followed you around for such a very long time I'm gonna snatch you off the street then I'm gonna take your life And there's no hope for me I've become a creature unworthy of pity Toss you in the ground across the Mason County line And I'll keep it to myself, babe Let's hope the blind Yeah.